Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling, and sometimes you may see me prancing around playing bass in the Australian metal band Lord. If you want to check us out, you can go to lord.net.au and uh, listen to our tunes over there. Actually, we've got a brand new live album out, live at Prog Power 2016. You can check it out digitally uh, for audio on Bandcamp and video via vimeo.com. But if you go to lord.net.au, you can check it out. If, speaking of, if you want a CD version of the show, there were a number of limited edition uh, CDs printed for this release, which all the pre-orders are now sold out. And I think most people have received their copy now. So thank you so much for everybody that supported. If you went to Prog Power in 2016, or if you just, if you've been to Prog Power and you didn't get a copy of the CD, you missed out, shoot me a message. I may have a couple of leftover ones for you. So if you're keen, shoot me a message it, ASAP, and I'll see if I've still got a copy for you, and I'm more than happy to to hook you up. Otherwise, there is a very small quantity of these CDs, which will be released in the next few weeks at an inflated price, because I'm a bit of a capitalist pig, (laughs) and you guys will be able to buy a copy then. But um, otherwise... It's practically sold out now, and um, this is the way that the band's going to function in the future. So we're going to we're going to give things um, and put things out for you guys um, in limited quantity and time, and then uh, once it's gone, it's gone. So, um, but um, a massive thank you to everybody that's been supporting us and pre-ordered that CD. Probably one of the I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. One of the best pre-orders for any release, Lord and Dungeon that we've ever done. So. Uh, Big, big thank you to everybody, not just in the United States, which was huge, but uh, people all through Europe, Switzerland, uh, Germany, Norway, uh, Sweden, Italy, Poland, Austria, France, Spain. I'm sure I've missed a bunch of people. And then going down uh, Singapore, Japan, um, India, Brazil, Argentina, Peru, um, Mexico, Puerto Rico, um, New Zealand, and then all across this big country of ours. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. It's been a long day. Um, Okay, moving along. This week, before I kick into this week's uh, guest and episode, as every episode of 2018 for the Andy Social Podcast, I am putting people on public record. I am doing shout outs. I'm saying thank you to people that are going above and beyond to support me and everything that I do, especially the Andy Social Podcast. And I want to make sure that I do something and just a little bit of an acknowledgement. And if you are mentioned on this uh, little shout out each week, then please send me a message and I'd love to send you something in the post. It's probably just going to be some crap that I've found lying around the house, but we all love getting something in the post. So make sure you shoot me a message. But this week I wanted to do a massive shout out, a massive thank you to Charlie Margin from Woi Woi on the Central Coast of New South Wales. Charlie has recently discovered the podcast and he pretty much just went through the whole thing and ticked every box. He has gone to andysocial.net. He's shouted me a beer via my PayPal uh, button. He's um, he's left a review on Facebook. He's shot me a bunch of messages online. He's been commenting and leaving replies and he's just been an absolutely great supporter of the podcast in such a short space of time. And a massive thank you to you, Charlie, for supporting me in what I do. And um, you've also been kind enough to let me know of a bunch of things that you do, and you're a busy guy. Um, One thing that you should check out, everybody that's interested, uh, Charlie's got this thing called Live at Charlie's Place. He's got this uh, home studio that he uh, 
produces a whole bunch of different music and he's got a bunch of video clips and all sorts of stuff online. If you go to uh, com, you can go and check out uh, everything that he's involved with. And he also works on a mushroom farm. Very interesting. Hmm. We might have to have a chat later on in the year. But uh, a massive thank you to Charlie for supporting this podcast and a massive thank you to everybody that has stepped up, left a review, um, donated via the shout me a beer button and done all these great things, sharing things around and recommending people to the podcast. Um, the fact that you guys are even listening to me waffle on right now is amazing. You probably fast forwarded, but thank you all the same. All right, moving along. This week's guest is with Gary Carson. If you don't know who Gary is, Gary runs or co-runs the Screaming Symphony radio show, which is on PBS in uh, Melbourne. So I'm going to put a bunch of links online that you can check out Screaming Symphony. But if you are into power metal or progressive metal or just melodic metal in general, Gary is your guy. Gary is probably one of the biggest fanatics of melodic metal and especially power metal. I don't think I've met anybody that surpasses Glenn's level of you know, obsession for, for this genre of music. And um, this is a really cool chat. We cover a whole range of different topics. We, we talk about metal and um, we talk about um, Gary's um, introduction to metal, which is really cool and, and quite interesting. Um, and, you know, his global travels every year, he's going to European festivals. He's got some very, very cool friends, which he makes a note of in, uh, in this uh, episode. He doesn't brag. I actually make him talk about it. And um, we talk about uh, him being an introvert, which um, is quite an interesting thing. And yes, um, you might've heard, uh, I've got Larry in the background. He makes a couple of appearances in this conversation as well. Um, we talk about uh, veganism. We talk about the fact that Gary doesn't drink any alcohol as well. Um, just a really, really cool chat and somebody that's um, got a lot of great willpower and um, just a real air of independence and um, somebody that I think I quite look up to and um, a really great chat and we waffle on for a long time. So I'll put all the links to Screaming Symphony and everything that Gary's a part of in the show notes. I'm going to put, um, there's a video that Gary mentions as well in this chat, which I'll put in the show notes. I'll let you listen to the episode and you can work all that out. And I've also asked Gary to list his top five power metal songs, which I will put into the show notes over at andysocial.net as well. So if you want to check out some power metal, you can, thanks Larry. Uh, you can go and check, uh, go and check out the uh, show notes as well. I, I told him there's no rules. It can be his top five at present. It can be his all time top five. It can be the top five cheesiest power metal songs, whatever's going on. All right. Larry's carrying on. It's time to wrap this up. Please enjoy this episode with Gary Carson of Screaming Symphony. It begins. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going? Yeah, good. Yourself? (laughs) All right, I think. We'll find out after the next hour or so. so. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Carson, this is your life. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like, yeah. That's what it feels like. Well... Let's just go in deep real quick. Let's not mess about. Let's not. No. All right. So, la- <laughs> <laughs> so last night you mentioned you're giving me a bunch of things uh, possibly that we can talk about, but you put one thing that I said straight away. I do not understand this whatsoever. You wrote introvert. Can you explain yeah. to me? Because maybe I've got the definition completely wrong, but how the hell are you an introvert? Um, so, I, I mean, I've always, 
a lot of people think in, being an introvert is being shy. And whilst shyness can be an element of introversion, it's not exclusive to being an introvert. So my thing is that um, extroverts get their energy, get their social energy from being social and being out and about with people. And I get my social energy from being by myself and reflecting and, and thinking about things, probably overthinking actually. Um, so I get that's where I get my social energy from. But I guess part of the um, you know my fabric is that metal, uh, in many ways, is my outlet. And and so when people see me at a metal show and talk to me at a metal show, um, I can I have no other option than to be social. So even though many times I want to hide up the back of the the, the venue, um, it's a real struggle sometimes. And so when I when I watch a metal band, and I did so watching Black Majesty last night at the Evelyn Hotel, um, to me it's me and the band. So I don't really look around to other people. It's just me and the band. But I really struggle, and because people know me, you know, from the radio show and stuff. Um, I actually really struggle interacting with people. So therefore, if I do one gig on a weekend, I then have to revert back to my into myself and and re-energize by spending time alone. And that's what people don't see out and about. So they see the social Gary, but they don't necessarily see the introvert Gary. So I assume that just like using the example of last night, today, or even just coming back home after after the show, you would have been quite mentally exhausted just from the whole experience. Even though you would have had a great time, just because you would have had to be on, it would have been exhausting? Yes. Yes. Um, that said, I, I also get my energy from the band. So the fact that I can... I can um, I can focus on the band and, uh, you know, singing along with Geo in my poor power metal voice. Um, I, I absolutely, like, I get my energy from there because to me, as I said, it's a one-on-one to me whether I'm looking at Stevie the guitarist or Hanny the guitarist, Evan Bass, you know, that's where I get my energy from. So, yes, after I finish socialising, um, I then have to come home and basically just, you know, um, introvert the next 24 hours. So, you know, even though we had this scheduled for the last 24 hours, I've been overthinking, you know, um, doing this this, pod, this podcast with you. So, yes, so that's, um, uh, it is mentally draining. Um, but I love it. I love it, but I also hate it. It does take a lot of energy. And this is um, something that a lot of people don't understand. They just don't get. Because I, I make friends quite easily. Yeah. Um, I interact with a lot of people, um, but... Um, people want access to me, but I can't always give them that access. And so I'm very, I try to communicate to everybody to say, you know, I want you in my life. I want you to be my friend, but I really suck at this stuff. And so I actually need my downtime. So um, I'm happy if you want to be friends, but you have to, you have to give me the space to be who I need to be. So then I can come out and do what I need to do. It's not, I mean, even when you explain it like that, especially that last part, it's not that uncommon, really, especially in the metal scene. No. Because it's, I, I know so many friends like that. I mean, I guess even, oh, I don't know if I'd put myself in, in, in that sort of boat as well, but as far as that space element, and, you know, I'm, I'm quite social and I'm, I'm the same when I go to a show and at times I'm a little, little bit apprehensive about, oh, you know, talking to people or sort of just being on. And, yeah. And, and then I can be quite drained after an experience like that. But even with friendships... Yep. 
you know, I need I need a lot of space. I'm not best buddies t- attached to the hip with with most people, and I come and yeah. go and I blow with the wind in and out. Um, but even just the way you would describe that, thinking about a lot of other people I've met over the years, it that describes a lot of people I know to the T. So it's yeah. So when you explain it like that, it's it's very very different too. Because I just you know you think on the surface, it's like well. You know, somebody who's very social, somebody that's, you know, happy to talk and somebody that's not sort of, you know, doesn't just segregate themselves from the crowd or anything like that. And all my experiences with you over the years, like you're one of the most welcoming people to anybody that comes to Melbourne and plays a show. You're always chatty and and really social. And I get that side of you. And so when you said that last night, I went, and you're always cracking a joke and being inappropriate and all this kind of stuff. And I love it. And you've got such a great reputation. So when you said that last night, I thought, well, hang, well, hang on, hang on, what? <laughs> so the explanation but, uh, makes sense. To me, that being chatty side and being inappropriate, which is completely me, but that's a, that's my defense mechanism. Yeah. So I, 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 I can use my, I guess, um, whether it's charm, whether it's my um, um, humor, whatever it happens to be, um, but that's my defense mechanism. So I, I can be quite entertaining with people and I, I can have a crowd eating out of my hands in many ways. Um, you know, I've been up on stage with Voyager, you know, pretty much 95% naked uh, up on stage. <laughs> and, and you know, people look at me and, and I, I, I'll tell them I'm an introvert. And they're like, no, you're not. And it's like, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. And the thing is, metal is my outlet. And I will literally do anything for metal. I feel like I'm a man of war cliche right now. But um, <laughs> I adore this stuff with a passion that you would not believe. And I will do stuff in metal that I would not do um, in the regular world. It's, it's still me. It's still who I am. But it, metal brings out a part of my personality that, doesn't always manifest itself in, say, a workplace or in standard friendships or whatever. It's um, although you'd still have all those same feelings. There's something about the metal community, and, and sometimes it sa- sounds very cliched and stereotypical because people talk about it in the same way. But there's truth to it. There's an air, there's an element of comfort where there's you know everyone in, well everyone's like minded, but there's there's a level of acceptance where people can just to a degree. There's always except, exceptions to the rule, but people can be themselves. And yeah. you can let your guard down to a degree and people just accept you on face value. I mean, especially, you know, you're wearing a T-shirt of a band that somebody else identifies with and it's something you've got a conversation going and you go deep into a conversation about someone's back catalogue or someone's side project and all this kind of stuff and suddenly you've built a connection with somebody. And there's that... Exactly. And Yeah. I'm sorry. So that, for me, that brings me out of my shell. So I, as much as I'm an introvert, I, I, I do push to challenge myself all the time. And so I need that social interaction, so I'll push for it. Um, it, it yes, sometimes I can be socially awkward and uh, not know what I'm doing, but to me that's just all part of the fun. And, uh, you know, I just love it. I love metalheads. You know, I don't care where they're from. I love talking to them. You know, you've got everybody from from bogans to doctors and lawyers and probably bogan doctors and lawyers, you know, like uh, they're everywhere and they're they're all adorable. And I love having a chat with metalheads. I remember having a chat with um, my parents when they were going overseas for the first time a few years ago. And I said to them, um, if you ever get stuck anywhere, because it was their first trip overseas and, you know, they're late, at the time they were about 70 years old. And I'm like, if you ever get stuck anywhere, find someone with long hair and find someone with a black T-shirt because chances are, no matter what country you're in, they're going to have better than average English. 
and um, and they are the nicest people you will meet. So if you ever get stuck, find a metalhead overseas, and they will help you no end. They won't rip you off. They won't do that sort of stuff. They will look after you. There's something about a level of adversity, or you know, being on the other on the other side of the fence. Where I think even growing up, for a lot of people that liked music feeling like you're on the outside all the time you you you're, you're yeah. anti-establishment in a way and and the, the social norms are against you all the time so when you when you get older and you become an ad, adult and you find your like-minded group of people that you've already been through those experiences so you you're more compassionate and you're more willing to help people because you, you've been in that you've, you've been, been there you've been there before yeah you've been ostracized from the community and um and that ostracism creates a bond with other people who have been ostracized and it doesn't matter what you know you could be into jazz music and be ostracized you know you could be into pop music and be ostracized but there's something about the metal community that is just it's magic and then when you hit up the festivals or even local uh, local shows there's a camaraderie and a bond there that is it's almost unbreakable unless someone's a twat of course and then it's completely different but um, it's awesome I love the metal community well I just remember I mean you've no doubt would have had these experiences countless times but years and years and years ago we were in Germany and I remember we were walking oh, where were we it's a hoe so just before just near Wacken, yeah. and we're walking yeah. on the street and this real like there was about five or six of us and you know all long hair got black t-shirts on and we've all been having a few drinks as well so we're loud and carrying on and this really elderly well-dressed couple were walking up towards us on the same side of the road anywhere else in the world these people would have looked at us with wide eyes and walked across the other side of the road to divert (laughs) us these two people walked straight up to us and started speaking to us in german and i just thought oh god here we go we're getting the serving but one of our friends spoke fluent german and started having a conversation with them and then they said oh yeah bye and then went off in their separate ways and i said what the hell was that about he said they just want to know if we're going to whack in next week they'll just they want to know where we're from and what we're doing and i just thought that is absolutely incredible and i mean that's that's a different culture and obviously metal's more accepted and there's people can understand the the benefits of different types of music and different people in especially in that part yeah. of the world but um i just thought that's such a unique thing a unique experience because usually it's the other way around <laughs> so absolutely and it's a different it's a different cultural mindset i mean i've been to Vark and i think now oh, i'd be up 11 or 12 times i think um mm-hmm. since 1999 maybe more than that and um it was actually something happened last year where um because uh, we're in the media area, so we can park the car in the media area and then um, catch a bus into the, the main uh, the main um, area for the two main stages. And basically, um, around Varken, because the Varken organisation is is based at, at Varken at the, at the village, and they get all the the people who live around there actually get free tickets or free entry, and they have the old people's homes, um, the old aged care facilities. And they actually bring all the old people in to come and, and check Barkin out. And so I, last year, I had a busload, a mini busload of, um, of you know, 80-plus-year-old people all giving us the medal sign as, uh, <laughs> as they're driving past. And I'm like, Germany, I love you. you know, it's like, <laughs> why can't I live here? I just thought that that was magnificent, you know. Like, if I think about a retirement village here, you know, I want to be in a metal retirement village. You know, that, that's what I want. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, there's a, there's a, there's a business idea there. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I think it would be a fantastic idea. Oh, dear. So, I mean, you mentioned the other thing is that um, you, you've been a bit of a late bloomer to metal. And yep. without putting you on the, uh, 
on the chair and start digging deep into into your past. What I mean, you mentioned about I can do it. You mentioned the like being an introvert and all that. Was what was it like growing up as a kid, or even sort of before you started discovering metal? Like, what what sort of challenges did you have? Was it what you've experienced now amplified? So, um, my father was in the army, so I moved house, and there were four of us kids, and we moved house every eighteen months to two years growing up, and so pretty much my whole life up until I was about sixteen was I would fly into a place. Um, I would be Hurricane Gary for eighteen months to two years, and then I'll and then I would bug out, and it, it's it's transcended into life, and um, you know that's kind of how I live my life. I just rock up to a metal gig, I go crazy and go nuts, so I go to a festival over in Europe or over in the US, and then I leave, and then you know I cause mayhem and chaos in the middle. Um, but and so I really like that, but because. Um, Again, it's not that uh, I, I like to consider myself as authentic as possible and very honest and very brutal. Um, that it wasn't always that case, but I always knew that I could read people because I needed to be able to read people. Because in a short space of time, in eighteen months to two years, as a primary school student, as a high school student, um, I needed to be able to read people to work out who I liked and, and who I didn't like and who I needed to avoid. Um, so I was very good with body language and not just the standard body language, but basically looking into somebody's eyes and knowing exactly what's going on with them. And I could easily um, get into someone's personality or into their psyche um, to work out um, what their needs and what they needed to, what they required as a friend. Um, and so I'm, you know, I've always been attracted to the outliers, the losers, the weirdos, uh, you know, and metalheads are, you know, dare I say it, but yeah, we, in many ways we are that way. Mm. Um, and so I got attracted to that sort of, um, the, the, the weird, the weird kids. And, um, when I eventually got into metal, which was actually only in my early twenties, um, I knew I liked guitar based music cause I loved, um. Um, back in the late 80s, I loved Skid Row and Poison and Alice Cooper's Trash and uh, anyone with a mullet, basically, in the 80s. Um, <laughs> it was either a mullet or makeup, really, one of the two. And, um, um, and yes, your favourite, uh, your, your boyfriend, John Farnham, is included in that too, Andy. So, um, and I, I, loved, I loved all that guitar-based stuff. And then someone introduced me to Sabotage at the age of 21 or, or 22, Absolutely hated it. I, I said to my friend David, I said, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and then, and this was Sabotage Edge of Thorns. Yeah, oh, like right, this yeah. is, like I love that album. And then six months later, we were in the car again and it was like, um, um, I said to my mate Dave, who's this? And he goes, Sabotage Edge of Thorns. You heard it six months ago. And I said, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and that basically took off, you know, that was my metal career started. And then I just started soaking up music like, like it was going out of fashion. It was an insane time, and I, I haven't stopped since. So, I mean, going back to what you said before about you know growing up in a sort of a military family and moving around, and every eighteen yeah. months to two years, one hundred percent to the point, exactly what I went through as a kid with my father yeah. um, working for the health department and moving around a lot of regional hospitals through primary school yeah. for me. So every and exactly what you said, you know, walking into a new school and a new group of people and trying to suss out really quickly who you 
walk towards, who you hang out with, yep. and then finding out within a couple of days, oh, geez, I'm with the wrong group, and you quickly you quickly <laughs> try and adjust as, as, as quickly as you can and as uh, smoothly without causing any any rupture. But, um, I, yeah, it's uh, I've when you were mentioning that, that's 100% what I went through, and, and it was only until... I think towards uh, no high school. Sorry, high school would have been where I had a bit of stability, and yeah. and then it sort of started to calm down. But by that stage, I'd I'd been through several schools and different towns, and and yep. certainly, I mean, it wasn't until actually I left high school or towards the end of high school that I really properly got into metal and started to hang out with people that I didn't actually go to school with and realize, oh wow, like people are really nice. And, and 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 I can have a conversation without like getting the piss taken out of me every thirty seconds, or or yeah. be so self conscious about themselves that they have to sort of be on the attack all the time to try and prove themselves. You know, um, everyone's trying to be the alpha male, and suddenly you're with a bunch of guys that just like good music, and everyone's just totally chilled. And I went, oh wow, this is another yeah, it's another world. But um, just about, about yeah. reading people of what you mentioned. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a, a complete expert with it, but I've certainly had to navigate over the years and traveling overseas and being in places by myself that a lot of that early development of, of doing all that, all that experience and a little bit of mental adversity in primary school certainly yep. has helped me uh, be a lot stronger <laughs> in my adult years. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of darkness can help everybody, I think, um, um, to overcome you know adversity. I think, I think it's good for the soul. Um, but I think in terms of um, people, I, I actually, I was one of these kids who could get along with everybody. So whether it was the alpha male group, the, you know, the, the, the weirdos, the, um, you know, the, the normal people, I guess, for want of a better term, um, I could actually um, just go in, make everybody laugh, make everybody feel comfortable. So I could actually make friends everywhere. Mm. And so, you know, that's, that's has absolutely helped me long term. Um, but sometimes it does leave you, you know, what am I actually after? And when I realized that I needed that, that more of that space to myself, I then realized I love people, but at points in, in my life, it's like I need people to go away right now. <laughs> Just, you know, so I can be by myself and do my thing and then, and then come out of my shell when I need to. But I, I totally love people. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you struggle at all with having like, because um, this is, I'm just, now I'm like, analyzing myself but <laughs> am i analyzing you that's yeah, the yeah. question it's, it's flipped straight away um do you do you struggle with having like a close circle of people or like you know the traditional stereotypical best friend where like for me i always have that problem where i've got a lot of i've got a lot of friends but i don't have a lot of close yep. friends and i'm always jumping between different groups of people and i'm, I'm keeping up appearances i've got great great acquaintances all over the place but very few people yep. are very, very close. And even the people that are very close to me, I struggle to maintain what would stereotypically be seen as, you know, what best friends should do and catch up and, you know, talk on the phone and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm moving too quickly to stop in, in one spot. So for me, I think the important part of that, and um, we whether we get to that discussion or not, but I have a psychology or behavioral science background. Um, <laughs> To me, it's really important to communicate, um, you know, to those closest to you. So I meet and I have a lot of friends globally and I, I have to let them know straight up, straight up front is that this is me and this is who I am. I get that you love me and want to spend more time with me, but I don't operate this way. 
So you're in my heart, you're in my mind, but I can't be that best friend for you. So to be my best friend, you have to, um, you know, it may involve catching up with one, one or two people three or four times a year kind of thing. And they have to be okay with that. And some people aren't okay with that, and that's okay. Um, but as long as the lines of communication remain open, I think that's the important thing. And that would also extend into um, relationships because um, this is something I notice. Again, you know, we all do. We look at relationships come and go, but a lot of people don't communicate what they're thinking and feeling. And, and more to the point, if they do communicate it, are they asking the other person um, questions? You know, it's not just about you. It's about, you know, finding out what the other person is thinking. And I think there's, you know, we assume a lot of things about other people. And I think that's, that's not the greatest thing in the world. Was, was that a natural progression from, I guess, the way that you grew up and the experiences that you had to when, you know, getting older to, to start looking into that form of study? Was that something that due to your experiences, you developed a fascination for people and behavior and the way that people communicate with each other? I always loved, um, I, um, as I said, I, like, I love people. I love, um, like if I walk into a restaurant, I immediately go to the back corner and, and sit in the, 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 you know, the corner that looks out. Yeah, yeah? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's that kind of, it's not quite fight or flight, but it, it's that kind of thing where I need to visually see what's going on. Mm. And so I'm really, like I can look at two people. If two people, um, I can look at a, a man, a woman or a couple or a potential couple and I know exactly what's going on. If that same situation is happening to me, I'm sometimes, I'm not kind of oblivious to it, but I can be certain what's going on with two people, whether they like each other or whether they, whether they hate each other. But with me, I, I can sometimes struggle, um, you know, getting out of my body and viewing what's going on because you also want to just experience in the moment. But I just ha- I have a fascination with society, with people, and I-, I find people really interesting. And that's why I'm I'm even finding this podcast um, for today difficult because I'm so used to asking questions and I'm uh, used to giving, and I don't I I, I feel um, a little. Um, anxious about you asking questions, even though it's a chat and it's just two mates catching up. But it's I'm used to being that person asking the questions, so I find this a little odd. <laughs> is, it, is it is it a control thing as well? So when you're asking the questions, yeah. you've 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 got a bit of a structure, you've got some framework, and you know where your your, your parameters are that you're working within. Yeah, because sometimes I can just, as I said, I can go off tap and do crazy stuff and be inappropriate and whatever. And so, yes, some of it is about a degree of control and whether I'm in the mood for, you know, um, being vulnerable, which I I don't mind being vulnerable. I don't, as a man, I don't mind crying, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is often, um, you know, looked down upon. But I have no problem with that. I I like, you know, I have a high EQ, you know, I have a a high emotional quotient. And my IQ is not bad either. But, um, um, you know, for a, a man to have that sort of, um, uh, um, you know, th- those sort of traits is kind of rare. So, yes, there is a little bit of control going on when, when I can focus on the other person. But at the same time, I'm genuinely curious about, about other people. Um, people are fascinating. People are idiots as well, but people are fascinating. Um, you know, whether it's cultures, you know, groups of people, how they get together, you know, politics, you name it, it's incredible. Metalheads, I mean, you know, you, you, you're in a band of how many people? It's four people. Yeah. 
yeah, there's four people in Lord. I mean, I, you know, how you keep that sort of group together, um, I have no idea. It's I mean, you've had a change of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard keeping a relationship together. Yet, you know, you want to keep four or three or four or five or six people in a band together. Wow. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know how you guys do it. Well, we always say, especially when you're talking to other musos, it's, it's like having three or four other girlfriends where, you know, <laughs> apart, from, apart from the inter- intimacy, which, you know, borderline, sometimes you get that close to people when you tour yeah. that it, it, gets, it gets pretty intimate. But, you know, apart from that, that aspect of it, you, you're pretty much doing exactly the same as what you'd be doing with a relationship with a partner where you've got yep. to find compromise, you've got to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, you've got to make sure you get the best out of them and they're getting the best out of yourself and you know when to back off, when to push. And it's really, really hard because everyone's got a different mindset and everyone's got a different, everyone's got different reasons yeah. to, be, to be there. And they're motivated yep. by different things, and it's it's really Absolutely. really hard when you discover because that and the thing that I've I've found from my own experience is that when you first get together, it's very easy to get on the same page and just go for it because there's this element of you're intoxicated by the the the, the dream, the vision, and where you're going to go, and then the excitement of those first reactions of what you do. So whether it be putting out music, playing your first set of shows, and whatever whatever that might be, but then. When you get into the grind of it, that's when people's true motivators come out and you understand that we are yeah. very different people and then you've got to try and find the common ground. That's when you've got to start compromising and it can be it can be very shattering and it can that's why so many bands just don't don't last that long because it's just they can't find yeah. that element of common ground. And there's that and you've got things like um, you know, the business side of it, the music writing side, you know, websites, um, you know, tours and all these kind of stuff. And whether it's a bigger band that does some international tours or whether it's a smaller local band, you've basically got to identify, you know, who can do what. And, you know, they have to be able to play, but they also have to be able to do, hopefully, uh, you know, something that um, makes being in a band a lot easier. You you have to try and get on that same page. And you've got bands, um, you know, where where people aren't contributing but they're just playing and that's okay as long as that that's communicated as long as I if I'm a, a guitarist and I walk into a band all I want to do is play yeah I don't want to do the business but as long as you communicate that then it makes it easy because then with that information then you can you know deal with the other things that, that, that come with being in a band thankfully I'm not in a band <laughs> <laughs> well I mean but at the same time you've I mean, you could definitely relate to it with all the relationships that you've had with different people, whether it be with Peter with Scream Symphony or all the connections that you built around the world, you know, going to festivals and the people in Melbourne yeah. going to going to shows. There's there's always these relationships that are coming and going and you've got to, you know, either maintain something or find compromise with certain people or vice versa. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's... We all, I think we all go through it no matter whether we're part of like, you know, this music collective or, or not, but I guess it's just more amplified when it comes to a niche or, a, uh, you know, a, a particular topic, interest or passion where everybody's sort of like-minded to a degree. And then once you get below the surface of, oh, we all like this, and then you start to identify, oh, we're actually all quite different. And then you've got to go <laughs> through that, that friction of trying to find where everybody sits and still get the best out of whatever that situation is. And it's really, really difficult. Yeah, and look, Peter and I, we've been doing Screaming Symphony now for, we, we start our 20th year this month, actually, March 2018. Oh, yeah, I can't believe we've... Yeah, I can't believe we've been together that long. But um, and I remember, like, Peter has a uh, German background, 
And he was always very brutal in his approach to everything. He's mellowed out a bit now that he's been in Australia a lot longer and now that he's married and things like that. But he was always quite brutal. And that was difficult for me in the early days because, seriously, I, I would hang up the phone from Peter um, because he was just being German. <laughs> like, like I, and the thing is, he he would get frustrated with me because I would be a lot more laid back and I would, you know, make jokes and, and you know, and be inappropriate and whatever. But, you know... I, any good relationship or any good, you know, a partnership in terms of, you know, whether it's a band, whether it's radio, whether it's a relationship, whatever, um, you know, is that compromise? And now Peter and I are in, you know, it's 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 like a, a tragic middle-aged couple, you know. But it, <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, it works and it's good. I, I heard your um, podcast with Chris Pachenko from Vanishing Point, and you know, he was talking about. Um, um, uh, you know, band members coming and going, but it's mostly been him and Silvio uh, in the last few years. And that's the thing with Peter is in in someone like Peter, I've found um, a kindred spirit in terms of he has got some magnificent strengths and some dire weaknesses, but I have them too. And but together we're able to to push through, and we have a, a single goal and a single vision. Um, um, for the radio show and you know we hope that that kind of works we think it does we hope people enjoy the show but you know it's a very niche uh, uh, metal show it's not for everybody we do talk a lot um, and some people just don't like that some people just want us to come on air and play music but we don't do that you know we we are a, a review based radio show and so we review stuff and it takes a shitload of time I think, um, just on a side note, I think I remember the first experience I ever had with Peter and it was, uh, <laughs> it was, and it wasn't face to face. It wasn't a personal, uh, personal thing, but, um, I saw yeah. him, I saw him on the 1999 Metal Warriors VHS, uh, release mm. where I think he was sitting on yep. top of a, a garbage bin and, uh, yeah. Steve Ravick, uh, back in his larger days, uh, threw Peter off the top of, um, of the wheelie bin and started yelling yeah. at the camera. And I think they were both yelling all the way through that whole presentation in between bands, explaining how great a band was. It was so dramatic. And me at the time, I would have been about uh, probably about 15 or 16. And I'm just sitting yeah. there at my parents' place in front of the TV on the carpet, just watching going, what the hell is this world? And like, yeah, not even understanding what, Wacken or Germany or even just I'm still discovering metal as it is and just looking at this VHS going what the hell is this and who are these two clowns who are just like carrying on in front of the camera but I've known Peter since then and he and you're right over the years he's well, he's definitely not what he was in that video. He probably would have been playing it up a little bit, I'm sure, but still. I was like, yeah, badly, oh. like, like in, in some bad German, you know, soap opera, yeah. <laughs> Have you have you um, sought therapy from um, from watching that VHS back in nineteen ninety nine? Have you seen a psychologist or anything? No, but I put it up on eBay not too long ago. I thought I need to get this off my shelf. I need to move on from it. <laughs> oh man, they were the days because we went um, we went to Varken that year um, for five days, and it was my first ever trip overseas. Um, and it was you know five uh, four days of Varken, and it was amazing. I, it was like this whirlwind experience, and. You know, ever since then, I've gone back, you know, a lot of times. And pretty much I go overseas every year now to, to four weeks just for metal festivals. But those early days were phenomenal. And that back then, Varken was, I think, maybe ten or 20,000 people or something. And now it's like 85,000 people. So that place is phenomenal. It's, um, 
Yeah, it's it's one of those weird. I mean, they they call it the mecca of metal. You know, this this, yeah. pil- this pilgrimage that happens from every corner of the globe, and everyone congregates there for for a week or so, and just you know celebrates celebrates what uh, metal means to, means to them. And it it sounds so corny and cheesy, but it's it's true. And and just from what we've been speaking about, there's obviously there's so much importance that people hold to the genre of music, and just you know all the additional things of just on top of enjoying the music itself and what it means and the identi- identifying with the group of people and feeling accepted, yeah. finding your own place and not being judged. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a unique, a unique thing. It's awesome. And the thing is, um, like last year in 2017, um, Peter and I did a live to air broadcast from Varken. So we had a studio over there and um, we took that over uh, for two hours and we broadcast live back to um, PBS FM in Melbourne um, for a live broadcast. It was the first time we'd, um, we'd done anything like that, and we learnt a lot. It was a phenomenal experience, and they want us to come back this year and, and do it again. So we're looking at maybe doing two shows. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do to make that happen, um, but it's um, it's just a phenomenal place. It's um, And... You know, the, uh, one of the pieces of information I found out from the, the ICS, who are the people who organise Varken, um, Australia, um, the biggest non-European market for Varken is Australia. Yeah, right. Um, which was information to me. I knew lots of Aussies went over there, but I didn't realise, and they didn't give away the numbers, but mm. um, but they said a lot of Aussies come over to Varken and they wanted to promote more of um they wanted to promote Varken more in Australia. And um, one of the things I had to tell them was um, you have to understand or that Varken have to understand is that when you come from Australia, we're not coming over just for Varken um, because we're not coming, you know, we're not flying, you know, 15,000 kilometres over to Europe to just see one festival. Um, Whenever I go, and as I said, I'm typically in Europe for four weeks every year, and I will hit up whether it's Summer Breeze, whether it's Sabaton Open Air, um, you know, Masters of Rock, uh, Leyendas del Rock, um, you know, Tuska in uh, in uh, Finland. Um, there's so many festivals over there that I'm there to see as, as many bands as possible in a four week period, and that's how we travel because we, you know, we're not coming from Italy where we can just drive up to Germany and you know have a week at Bach and then go back home. You know, we're there for two, three, four weeks. Um, so we're there to see lots of um, uh, lots of bands and lots of festivals. So from Varken's perspective, yes, you can advertise in Australia, but we're not going exclusively for one festival. Yeah, I think you need one of those, uh, like a, you know, a tourist operator that specialises in metal <laughs> festivals, and then you just do the whole package and you can go and do a circuit of over a number of weeks and just uh, hit up, you just buy one ticket that, that gives you access to four festivals or something like that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, when a lot of Aussies, when they first go overseas, they will they will go on a tour. They will do a, a you know they'll pay someone to go on a to look after everything through the accommodation. Yeah. But typically, people will do that once, then they know, then they realise they can do it all themselves, and then you know, tour operators are, are irrelevant uh, from then on in. And that's you know, in my first year, I'm like you know, my eyes were just you know, I, I'm like. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen, and I need that. I need that. You know, it's like an addiction. I need to have that every single year. It's. Um, did you find when you first went over there, just given, I guess, your, um, 
I just want to use a better word than struggles, but <laughs> your challenges that you've had <laughs> with, with just, I guess, you know, the way that you socialize with other people, but being in a, I mean, I've found this when, when I first went to Germany and especially the first time I went to Germany by myself, um, compared to other countries where you stand out a little bit more, the, not so much the cultural difference, but the language difference. Did you find that you struggled with a lot of that, uh, just given, you know, your own challenges with, communicating with people then having that that point of awkwardness when someone discovers oh geez you don't speak german and and then you <laughs> and you having to sort of get over that hump because i guess just to give a bit of context and so i can try and articulate this in a cl- with a bit of clarity um when i go to japan it's fantastic because i stand out like a sore thumb people don't really yeah. care because they don't they don't gawk and they don't stare and point and look at you they just get on with their day but when you walk into yeah. a shop or into a restaurant or a bar they know and they assume for right or wrong that you can't speak Japanese. So they are trying to talk to you as slowly as possible. They're attempting to speak English. They're pointing at things. They might even have an English menu that they flick over that they they can try and help you out. But when I went to Germany the first time by myself, they they can't tell. They just think you're German. And so everywhere I walked, I walked into the same places and they would just start barking at me in German for lack of better description. And they would, and I would just have to say, no, like, and I I was very careful because I used to say, no, no, English. And then they think I'm from England and then they start like frowning at me. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to learn to say, no, I'm from Australia. And then most people were pretty cool, but they would, there would be this awkward moment where you could see them kind of think to themselves, oh, shit, okay, all right, um, okay, how does this work? Um, uh, yeah, how, how are you? Um, what do you want? And you're thinking, oh, man, I'm really, I'm really putting you out now. I'm so sorry, and I feel so dumb now because I'm not speaking your native tongue. So anyway, long story short, did you have those sort of similar challenges when you went over to Europe? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, short answer, the short answer is no, and that's because... I, I, look, I typically know people, and I, I guess not know people as in I know them personally, but um, um, the thing is Europeans in particular want to speak English. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do is if someone talks to me in German, I will often repeat something in German that is ridiculous. For example, I might say, and I, I might not pronounce this correctly, but it's hilarious, I, I will often say, Du bist eine Kartoffelsalat, which is, you are potato salad. Yeah. <laughs> now, it, it absolutely means nothing to anybody. Yeah. And it's totally ridiculous. And I use that basically as a, as a, as a way to lighten the mood. Basically to say, look, I don't, I don't speak English. But the thing is, so I've got a number of things that I can say. It could be a, a, a combination of swear words or, uh, you know, some pretty inappropriate things that I can say depending on the audience that you have. Um, but pretty much every European wants to speak English. Mm. Um, so the second they find out that you can talk, um, that you can speak English, even if I wanted to speak German or learn German, I have no chance because they want to. It doesn't. Seriously, you can be up the north of Scandinavia, um, you can be down south in you know Italy or Spain. Um, people want to speak English. And so, to me, there's not a lot of awkwardness. And this isn't just in um, this isn't just with metalheads. This is pretty much with with you know anybody I encounter. Yes, they might think that you're you know German, or they might think that you're you know, even English. But once they realise for me that you're from Australia, they they pretty much fall in love with you, and you can do you can do and say whatever you want. 
Um, I, I think Australians are still well regarded uh, overseas, perhaps not so much in England at times, um, because you know that was the traditional kind of bogan destination that everyone would go to. Mm. But in mainland Europe, you know, it's 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 a lot different. So no, I, I didn't really have those experiences um, like you did. Well, <laughs> I've had a few experiences in, in Europe, but um, yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I almost want to tell you one. Do you want to hear one? Yeah, of course. It's it's this is bizarre. I was seeing. Uh, I spent some time with. Um, I was at Prog Power Europe one year, and I was there with a couple of friends of mine, and um, we were meeting in Munich. So Prog Power Europe is in um, in the Netherlands, uh, and um, we were meeting in Munich in Germany um, a couple of weeks later. And in the meantime, I was going to see Epica in uh, play in Paris, and then I would meet my mates back in um uh back in um back in munich and we were talking we hadn't caught up so we were seeing dream theater in in munich and um um we were talking after the gig and as you know the pa is playing very loud music so we were shouting to be to be heard and anyway my friends asked me um um you know um, how was paris you know, what did you think of epica and I've just, and because I had to shout, um, I basically um, said, so I understand that I'm in Germany here, and I actually said the words, um, the gig was great, but the bouncers were Nazis. Yeah. Now, as I write, now we, we, ha- we have a very liberal use of the word Nazis. When we say Nazis, we mean hard ass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's, what, that's what we mean. And the thing is, when I, when I said the word Nazis, the music stopped. Yeah, yeah. Um, from the from the PA, and so I've basically shouted out in front of fifteen hundred people the word Nazis. Right. So my friends and I were standing northeast, southwest of each other, and we're, we've and the second we've we've realised what's happened, we've all looked at each other and, and have gone, "This is the biggest faux pas in history." <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and we, basically we all ran north, west, south, east <laughs> the directions. We came back five minutes later but to ensure that none of us had been killed. And we've all got our heads in our hands going, I can't believe this, you know, I can't believe this happened. And, you know, still to this day, this gets brought up by my friends. And, uh, but that sort of, you know, this sort of inappropriateness, this is, I have foot in mouth disease often when I go overseas. And, um, yeah, that's just one of the things that's happened. (laughs) (laughs) There's a time and place. No, well, the thing is, as I said, it's a liberal use of the word, and um, and you know, and, and again, I, 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 the history of Munich is, you know, it was mm. uh, uh, on the on the on the west side, so you know, it was kind of okay, but it was just one of those experiences where, you know, language we have to be careful with its use, and that was an eye opener for me. Um, we realised I'd, I'd, I'd made an error, um, and it's not something I would jump into again, but. Um, you know, you realise you make an error. Thankfully, nothing comes of it. You know, it's like living life. You know, growing up, you're gonna you're gonna fall over sometimes. You're gonna, you know, you can have some near death experiences at times. But as long as you get up and learn from the experience, that's the main thing. All your touring, touring, I'll call it touring. All your travelling and touring <laughs> overseas, uh, going to you know Europe most most years than not. I think the yeah. I think one of the last times I actually bumped into you was uh, in Atlanta. At Prog Power, it's going. <laughs> Prog Power USA. Yeah, that's it. Love uh, it. And I mean, what, you've obviously built connections with people all over the world through yep. through metal. Um, what sort of relationships have you been able to build? I mean, obviously keeping in mind what you said as far as the way you communicate with people, so people understand, you know, 
that I suck at keeping in communication. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, what sort of relationships have you had with people, um, you know, across the world? Like not, not only metal fans, but musicians as well. Because I mean, I look at some of the photos that you get tagged in and, and pop up even on Screaming Symphonies page. And um, you got some good company. And when some of these guys come out to Australia, you're usually uh, you usually in their ear and uh, and hanging out with them as well. So you've obviously, I mean, through Screaming Symphony and just doing a lot of uh, traveling, you've you've met some some pretty amazing people. I've met some incredible people, and and a lot of them I would count as friends. You know, like Toby from Ed Guy and Avantasia. He's a really good friend of the show, but he's a really good friend of ours, and. Um, you know, he's one person I can count on. But the thing is, like, I always look at it, you've had that experience at Prog Power USA where, um, you know, it's a friendship thing. Mm. And, you know, Prog Power USA, that happens because it's a boutique niche festival. You're talking 1,200 tickets maybe. Um, so, you know, but when you're talking the big bands, like, you know, Adam Taser playing to 85,000 people, it's a little bit of a different vibe. But, you know... Because Ed Guy's toured to Australia, because Gamma Ray have toured to Australia, um, you know, I, I count, you know, people like Kai, and you know, I don't keep in communication necessarily with Kai Hansen, but if I see him overseas, then we, we have a, a small catch-up, you know, and Toby um, in Germany, yes, we'll do that, so, you know, the, the whole band pretty much of Ed Guy, um, and I've met some incredible people through there, but again, I don't tend to keep, I don't, I don't tend to keep those friendships as, as active as I, as I would like to and that's simply because um, I'm busy at home um, you know working my day job and then doing the radio show so it is hard to keep up those friendships and I would prefer electronic friendships and then to catch up with them in person rather than try to maintain a, an, an electronic communication so that's kind of where I struggle. But, you know, when I go overseas and, uh, you know, I saw Avantasia did a warm-up show, for example, um, two days before a Barkin show a few years ago. And myself, and I know you've interviewed Anwar before, and I had a couple of other friends. We all went to see this warm-up show. Uh, and Toby, throughout the whole show, is talking in German. And so at some point, I decided to, um, to um, make my way up as close to the stage as I could get. And Toby loves to talk on stage. Like he's, he's just, he could talk a leg off a chair. And so at some point he took a, a deep breath and I've, I've just shouted out, Toby, Toby, you know, as loud as I possibly could. And he's looked down and he's gone, Gary, is that you? <laughs> and anyway, so, and he's, and I said, Toby, I, I, you clearly know that I don't talk uh, English, uh, I don't talk German. There's a bunch of us here who have no idea what you're saying. It would be really awesome if you could maybe do some translations for the, the ones who aren't German. And uh, anyway, Toby decides, because Toby's a real smart ass and he's a very funny man, um, but he decided at that point that he would um, get everybody in that stadium, and there was about, I think, 1,500 or 2,000 people, he told everybody, he said, everyone, this is Gary from Australia. Please wave at Gary and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got like, like 2,000 people waving at thought, you bloody, you asshole. <laughs> but, but that's him. And, you know, and again, I come back to that, that introversion side that is both, you know, in, in many ways it's kind of, I'm not much of an egotistical person, but it, it does rub your ego the, the kind of right way. You know, it's a nice thing to be recognised and to, you know, because, you know, in Australia, we bag people. You know, that's how we, we develop friendships. You know, if you can bag someone, if you can take the piss out of someone, that's 
you know, where some friendships develop. And we're really good at that in Australia. Uh, and Toby is kind of like that as well. He's like, he will, he will absolutely push your buttons and, and take the piss out of you um, because he knows, you know, he knows it'll push your buttons. Now it doesn't because I think it's hilarious, but yeah, you know. But the, the, good, the, the good piece was that he ended up translating, uh, you know, from German to English. So that was cool. And I got to meet Michael Kiske for the first time, which is awesome too. That's so. not that's not bad. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not a bad effort. Yeah, we're talking World, World Cup football and stuff. But yeah, good guy. Uh, from, from and a, bald. Oh jeez. From a from a metal fan perspective, and then going back to what you said when you were around twenty twenty one and discovering Sabotage for the second time and liking it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, going back and and sort of reflecting on that, and then being in that setting where you're in this room with a couple of other thousand metalheads and Tobias is on stage singling you out and you're the focal point. That journey of all that time from a fan perspective, I mean, as you said, it strokes the ego a little bit, but what a surreal moment. And also just from to to have just that one moment in time where everything just stops, it must be, I mean, must be such an infectious feeling. It's all, it's awesome. And I, you know, because the thing is like, I don't have a musical background like you, for example, I, I have no idea about, I don't know a lot about production. I don't know a lot about instruments. Um, I've never played a guitar. I've never picked up a guitar. If I did, I would destroy it. Um, um, and I can't sing for shit. Um, I'm a fan of this music and, and to me, um, you know, to, to have, um, to be a fan of music and then to have a friendship with, um, these people I mean to me they're just normal people and I've only ever been a fanboy with one person and I regret it completely and that was with uh, Arjen, uh, with Arjen Lucasen, um who I met at Pearl Power Europe and I was a total fanboy and I was basically an, an idiot and years later I'm like why did I do that you know like why was I like that but I just love Arian's work like I just it's 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 some of the best stuff that's out there uh, on the prog side. And I, I told myself when I had that fanboy experience that I would never, ever do that again. And I, I have tried not to since that time. I would treat people just as they are. And, you know, um, because the thing is, like, you know, um, at times with the radio show, and this is part of what I had to learn, was that, you know, people think that I know lots uh, about music and and about albums and bands and yeah i probably know more than the average metalhead in terms of a pro power um but i'm just a fan of music so when i talk to people i just want to talk either about regular life or about the bands that people are interested in and you know like if i catch up with an Ian lucasson on the phone um um like after we do an interview with him or or if i catch up with toby or felix or jens or anybody from ed guy um, I want to talk about regular stuff, you know, what's happening, you know, how many children have you got or, you know, what's happening in your life? Is everything okay? Are you stressed? Are you, you know, is life good? You know, what what are you struggling at? What are you succeeding at? You know, this is this is what I find really interesting with people because they're just regular people. They, they're entertainers. They have, a, you know, their own life. They still have to get up and have a shit in the morning and they still have to make breakfast and they, if they've got kids, they still have to take them to school. So it's just, you know, to me, they're just regular people. They just write awesome music. <laughs> well, I, I've been hyper-conscious about it for, for quite a few years, and then especially when I decided to start doing this podcast where, you know, I've 
there's been a couple of times years and years ago where I've had a mate that's that you know works with the webzine. They're like, oh, Andy, do you want to interview such and such? And I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I get a, a chance to speak to this person. You know, this connection right there. And then you sit on the phone. And you're on the media list, and you're waiting for your 20 yeah. minute or 15 minute allocation. And lucky for me, like the the times that I've done it, I've, I've been the last one. And um, yeah. and by the time, Perfect. well, sometimes, well, not in my experience, so I didn't have the right mindset because by the time they got to me, the person sounded absolutely exhausted because they just had, uh, like, okay. they just had like fifteen or twenty people before me that have asked the same questions over and over again, and yeah. for me, I didn't have enough awareness to go. You know what? I'm going to try something different and really get something good out of this. I've just gone well this is the job that I've got to do. So these are the questions that I've got to ask. And then I've realized yep. that these have already been asked 15, 20 times already. And so yep. for them, they go into autopilot. And when you ask yeah. them something else that's outside of it, it's very hard for them to pick it up very quickly because they're not used to it. They go, what, what do you, what did you say? And then as soon as the, the flow is broken, then you get sort of self-conscious and like, oh, oh, don't worry. Um, yeah. So, uh, 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 the next tour, tell me about the next tour or you're coming to Australia. Tell me about that. And you're like, just get back on track, get back on track. But so when I started the podcast, I was so conscious about it because I thought I don't want, whenever I do get a muso on the podcast and I chat to them, I don't want to fall into that trap. I don't want to go back into, ah, oh, so you're recording an album or you're about to release an album. Tell me all about it. Or how is this compared to the last album? Or, you know, yeah. you, uh, what's, what's the, you know, are you touring overseas or are you coming to Australia? Whatever it is, because you know that they'll fall back into, I'm, I've, I've zoned out now. I've disconnected from the conversation and so, we'll talk about something completely different. So we had, um, I've got a couple of um, examples that I can, I can riff off there. And um, one of those is we had that, we, so for this show, we specifically don't do um, pre-recorded interviews during the promo cycle. Mm. So we actually, re we actually refuse to do that. Now, a lot of distributors and labels hate us for that. Yeah. But that means, for, for us, that means we get what we think are better interviews yeah, and we get them at the right time. So that's a specific decision that we made. The other thing is we don't want to do an interview that um, that is restricted by time. So if we, if anybody comes to us and say you've got a 15 or 20 minute allocation, we will just say no and we won't do it. So, um, but that's us and we can annoy people with that. Um, but we want to chat, we, we want to see where that conversation goes. And so in many ways, like your podcast and like other podcasts, we would prefer to have a conversation rather than a Q&A. And we got burnt once with um, Tom England from Evergrey, um, who's a really nice guy, but we got him in that promo cycle where he sounded bored and on autopilot. It wasn't his fault, um, but... You know, he was bored after that. And so for us, it was a learning experience to say, okay, well, how can we avoid that in the future? This is how we can avoid it. And plus, Peter and I, because it's a bit of a democracy, we will only do interviews if we both agree that the album is worth it and that we think that that person has, has a conversation, has something to, add, something to say. We spoke with Wiki, uh, Wiki from um, Halloween um, uh, once, and we ended up, the interview went in a really weird direction where we were talking about um, that they were living in Tenerife um, or Tenerife in Spain because of the lower tax rates, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so they don't live in Germany anymore because they get a better deal if they live in Spain. Perfect. And so we were, we were talking about that, and we found that to be a better interview um, than, than something like, you know, what's your new album? I would rather talk about the weather or 
of course you're going to talk about the band. Of course that's going to happen. But where that conversation goes, because we don't have we don't we don't have set questions. We have set like um, um, areas that we might touch on, uh, but we don't have set questions. And I think that's really important. And sometimes that can make for a slightly awkward question if you know Peter and I aren't on song together. Um, but at the same time. To me, it's more real. It's an actual conversation. And I'm a big film fan, and one of my favorite um, screenwriters is a guy called Shane Black who wrote um, Predator and Long Kiss Goodnight and, and Kiss, 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 Bang, Bang. And he said in one of his, his interviews once that he would rather have you know, dialogue where um, it doesn't always work, but there's a payoff at the end, rather than just it has to be a payoff each and every line. And I kind of look at an interview as, as the same kind of thing, is that is that it might not all work, but we might actually get there in the end and we might actually find information that um that um you know that, that nobody else has gathered. So even with the Evergrey interview, we actually found out that um Tom was not a big fan of singing, even though I think he's a really emotional singer and he's just joined the band Redemption. Uh but he would much prefer to play guitar and not be that front man, but he's had to learn to deal with that and he's had to learn to deal with the people like the way he sings. And so that, even though it was a very autopilot kind of interview, I don't think he had explored that topic a great deal, if at all, um, during any other interviews. And so I, I found that really interesting. Do you find with a lot of these conversations that you have with people that it usually takes you a degree or you know a period of time where you actually start to have some flow like it takes you 15 20 minutes to be to really sort of get to a point where people start to relax and then you start going off on some tangents and having a sort of a, a fulfilling conversation where especially with some of these guys that are so used to doing press and so even if you're getting them outside of that press cycle they're still got this this expectation that, well, the conversation is going to go like this and these are the types of questions that they're going to ask. And so they're coming in with a bit of an autopilot perspective and it just takes that little bit of time to, to, to wear them down a little bit and then they start to chill out and then suddenly you get some, some gold later on in that conversation. Yeah, look, it's a sort of thing where um, I, we have a chat with them maybe for five minutes off air mm. um, beforehand and we tell them, you know, we talk about a couple of things. We might know them or we might know someone that, that they know. So we try and establish a connection. And we also say, and I, I believe not many in, uh, interviewers do this, but we actually say off air, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Mm. So for us, that's really important because... You know, we interviewed a band called Shadow Gallery once, so Gary Workamp, and he got he was sick of people asking um, about Shadow Gallery playing live. And he said, you know, don't bother, I've got nothing to say. And that's, you know, I would rather have that. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't on our list anyway, um, even though, you know, they have played live on the odd occasion. Um, but, you know, to me, that autopilot thing, it's like walking into Coles or Woolies or whatever, and the checkout person asks the, the question, you know, how are you? And... I can tell you right now, if I tell that person that I've had a fucking shit day or I've had a magnificent day, that I am going to have a much better conversation with that person and we are going to, uh, you know, we will come out of that, that shopping, that checkout experience um, all the better for saying what we actually think and feel. So I think if you can get to that sooner rather than later in, a, in an interview, to actually be honest and upfront and communicate, which is you know a topic that we, we started with earlier in the podcast, is to actually communicate, and I think you'll get a better interview. It won't always work, but you know it's 
um, you know, it's it's like playing in a band sometimes, you know, like 95% of the people don't see or hear what mistakes you make. Um, you've just got to run with it and see see how things go. And you've got to, you've got to be prepared to do different things. Um, and that's what I, I think some people play it a little bit too safe. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, as you said before, the fact that you don't write down exactly word for word what all your questions are no. going to be um that gives you a little bit of mental flexibility that you know that you can you can give yourself the the green light to be able to go off on a on a tangent and start talking about living in spain and 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 getting tax benefits of doing that and then coming out of that conversation going oh geez we didn't even talk about the album that much or we didn't really focus yeah. on the normal things because a lot of that stuff especially with musos all the stuff that they're promoting is already out there anyway. So you, yeah. if anything, it's probably better for them and uh, for their profile and for the band and, and for their sales and all those things that they're doing this stuff for to talk about something completely unrelated where you learn a little bit more about them and you get that personal connection to them that you actually feel compelled to go, I actually want to discover more about this person because he sounds so intriguing, so interesting, and I will actually yeah. go out and buy the album or you know whatever it might be because because of the conversation I've heard rather than, yeah, well, this album kind of sounds like, uh, you know, a 1987 release and, and we've gone back to our roots or, you know, we're, yeah, the next tour we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And it's the same stuff that's in every interview if you search for that person's name online or you're listening to multiple, yeah. you know, stations and, and hearing the same interview over and over again. But, I mean, to me, it's not always about the flexibility, although that's, that's absolutely a positive, but to me, it actually keeps me on my toes um, because... You know, it, it's 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 easy enough for the person interviewing um, to uh, fall back into the predictable, and so not having set questions or set areas means you have to actually listen to what the person's saying, and then you have to reflect back on their answers. So instead of asking one question, you actually you know what we're doing here and what people do in podcasts is you actually you, you might ask a single question, but you then you know you go in depth, you know, and you follow that. So I think that's really important. I mean, like, who does the interviews in Lord? I mean, I think we've chatted with both yourself and, and Tim. Um, is it mostly the two of you doing the interviews? Yeah, for the most part. I think Mark might do one one in a blue moon, but that's about it. I mean, for for the most part, it's Tim and I. And I think, you know, recently, I think a lot of the a lot of it's been me uh, doing doing a lot of the interviews just because Tim's been tied up as well. So, but there are certain things where, like, even I guess with the band. And it depends on the level of band, level of the band as well. But there tends to be a lot of email-based interviews as well, which are absolutely yeah. beautiful because you've got to sit down and you've got to write it out. And sometimes it's good but, because uh, you can write a story and you can you can you can put it into your own words without it getting too mashed up. But um, you know, Tim is, I feel, has got the strength in that area. I think he's real. He's good in both verbal and and written. But for him, he is on the money when it comes to email written interviews he writes a story sometimes he waffles on for for so long but he's but he's really good at painting a picture and he's descriptive and obviously that's part of his creativity and that's why he's done what he's done for years and for me he's like, very good at yeah i'm sorry oh no mm -hmm. i was just gonna say and for me like i i sometimes don't have the attention span to sit in the one spot for so long and type something out and then go back and go, oh, that doesn't make sense or the flow doesn't make sense or, you know, I've got to work, work on my grammar and get that better or whatever it might be. Whereas I can waffle on verbally and yeah. I might go off on, you know, I might go the, the, the long route 
and eventually come around to the, the actual answer that the person's asking for, but I'll get there eventually. Yeah. And usually it's entertaining enough that people will stay engaged and listen to it. So, but Tinder, Tim's best on, on both worlds, but I think my strength's definitely verbal over, over written. So when we get the email interviews, I'm like, oh, yeah, Tim, you want, you want to feel this one? <laughs> Tim, Tim, Tim is very good at verbal diarrhea. It's, it's one of his skills. Not, he is. He's just, he's a shit talker and he's really good at it. And, you know, like, I would have loved to have seen your performance at Prog Power. Um, I mean, I love seeing bands locally and I, you know, I know what local bands are capable of, but you don't know what a band is capable of until you see them play internationally mm. um, because they have to step up their game. And, um, you guys are very good, or Tim is very good at engaging with um, with um, with the crowd, and he's got a way of just talking. Um, I, I don't know how he does it. I, I don't. There aren't many Melbourne bands that I've seen uh, that can do what Tim does on stage. Um, Tim just takes the piss out of himself and everybody, and it's actually beautiful to watch. It, it, it's it's an art, and I don't get to see that a great deal in local Melbourne bands. He. He, I won't put him on the chair because he's not here to to fend for himself, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'll have to put him on the podcast one day, and we'll have a chat. But oh, you have to. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm holding off on my guys. So I'm like, no, they, they've. Well, there's been a couple of occasions where they're like, ah, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind uh, having a waffle on your podcast. And I said, just just hang ten. I said, let me build it a little bit. There's no point going too too quick too early. Just just hang ten. Be patient. But um, I think Tim's very similar to to what you said and what you described early early on with you know, um, being in a, in a particular setting where you're able to, to be outside your shell momentarily yeah. for a little bit. And then afterwards you, you go back. And I think yeah. when Tim walks onto the stage, he has a persona that is that. And then when he is off the stage, he recalls back and he will, you know, many a time we'll play a show and he will just go off and sit in the corner somewhere and he will try and stay yeah. the hell away from people because he just can't deal yeah. with it. And that's him just coming down from the show. But he's also just, yeah. he's a social guy, but he also at the same time, and he jokes about this, he goes, I hate people. And that's that social aspect that sometimes he struggles with, but his domain, his place where he shines, at least from the outside looking in is on stage. And when he walks <laughs> out there and he's got his guitar and he's ready to go uh that's it you know he he he's in control now and he's in control for the yeah. next hour or however long we're playing until yeah. the show's over and then he goes off and decompresses and does what he needs to do and um you know it's it's interesting being you know playing with him and being in a band with him for i don't know i don't know how many years now 13 odd years far, far too many yeah <laughs> i think i think i've been the only guy in the band that's lasted this long with him i think everybody else hasn't they've they've come and gone uh, over the years but but i mean it's I, understandable really <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> but uh, i think you know he's he's a unique guy and um i've got a lot of time for him and i i see both sides to him and i see I see the time away from the stage. I see the time traveling, you know, the idle time. And I see him when I'm standing next to him on stage as well. And to see yeah. him in his different personas or different versions of himself. It's not any sort yeah, of that's personality. All it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just his personas. And just being able to put himself out there in these different settings, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and it's sort of a reflection on myself because I see a version of myself doing similar things. And I'm very different to him. But yeah. I I am different when I'm on stage to when I'm not, and and yeah. we adjust ourselves in depending on our audience and who's in front of us at that time. So it's it's yeah it's a, he's a he's an interesting case study. 
Because, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is for me, like, I, I work, um, I, I like to, I set my life up to have a work-life balance. Yes. So I work four days a week, mm. and uh, so I work Monday to Thursday, and then Thursday night is the show night, which is at 10 o'clock. So I get up basically on Thursday morning at, say, 6 to 6.30. I have a full day at work. Um, I then do final prep for the show after work, and then I don't get home until about one thirty. Then I need my downtime uh, after that. And so pretty much I don't work on Fridays because, and it sounds like I'm being precious, and I, I, I'm not, but I will you know, jokingly say, yes, I'm just precious. I need, a, like, Fridays to just, I, I don't want to, you know, I, seriously, I sit on my PC. I'm a big PC gamer. So I will just um, game for, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours for the day on Friday. And that, that, that's, my, that's my recovery time. And it's awesome. And that's, that, you know, people want to get access, but it's like, no, this is, this is, this is my day. It's my work-life balance, and this is about balance. So I can build up for a weekend where I can go to a gig or I can go hiking or I can go bike riding or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. Well, I think um, having, having the mindset or the – not even the mindset – having the awareness to be able to understand what your, what your limitations are or where, where you actually um, – Oh, my bird's just going off in the background. <laughs> Cam- cameo from... La- You're not talking about your wife, are you? No. no. <laughs> cameo right, okay. From, cameo from Larry the Cockatiel. Um, but where you understand where you function the best and where you don't, and being able yeah. to adjust your life in a way that actually gets the most out of you. For most people, yeah. you wouldn't have... I mean, and I don't know I don't know what you do for a day-to-day job, but to be able to get to a point where you can make a decision, where you mould your your working life in a way that actually complements everything else. So you're not... Yeah. Like, stereotypically with a lot of people where you work the Monday to Friday, you burn yourself out, and then for yeah. a lot of people, you write yourself off on the Friday night then you're dead on Saturday, you may go for a bender for Saturday, and then Sunday it's just like, oh, my God, how do I get myself back to feeling somewhat human again? And then Monday morning you're death warmed up, and it's only until you get to about Thursday that you start to come alive again, and then that cycle yeah. continues again. So for you even mentioning that you do you know, a Monday to Thursday and, and allowing that extra day, you've made that adjustment, and obviously there's a n- number of decisions that you had to make to get to that point. But to have that awareness yeah. is so much more than what a lot of people can can say that they have. Yeah, and I, look, the um, I work in IT, so I've got a background in behavioural science and psychology and sociology. Um, I did counselling for a few years, which I absolutely loved. Um, but I think when I did counselling, um, I, I I'm kind of an an emotional sponge, and so I can soak up any. Yeah, I, I took it on too hard, and I think if I, I would love to go back and do that nowadays because I would be able to handle it a lot better. But the pay in the IT industry is a lot better. Um, the the other good thing about the IT um, industry is that, um, at least for me, I can sit there and listen to music all day. So even though I work, say, roughly 30, 32 hours per week, um, I for the show, I put in anywhere from 15 to 25 hours per week. And that's all volunteer. We don't get paid for it. Um, and so, you know, this is why I need that downtime because, you know, my week, you know, a lot of friends, I've burnt a lot of friendships over the years because people want to catch up and I'm like, I just can't do it. I can't, 
emotionally give what you require. And so a lot of my friendships end up being one-sided um, because it's it's it, it sounds wanky, but it, <laughs> thanks, Larry. Um, was it Larry? Yeah. Um, <laughs> great name for a bird. Yeah. Um, but it, it can become um, it can become one-sided, and so I need you know friendships that can match me and uh, that that who understand my situation, that I'm not the best friend. I'm actually really good in person, but yes, sometimes I can be quite distant and, and that can be, that can take a toll on, on friendships, of course. You're, I've got two things on my list that I'm definitely going to cover because I'm so intrigued by it, but I'm going to try and tie it in so it seems like we're just flowing in conversation. <laughs> I'm almost scared about this next one, but I, well, I don't know if it's the one I'm thinking of. But. Oh, I don't know, but I'm going to bundle them together as as a as a dual topic. But you know, yeah. linking it right back to the start about you know being an introvert and what the what an introvert means and feeding off your own energy instead of going out searching for energy from other people. You know, you need to go back and you need to reflect and you need to find you know what that is yeah. inside. Yep. Is that a motivator or do you think that's a big thing behind your choice to to be a vegan and to not drink alcohol as well? Do you think it's more of a case that you've really fed off the fact that I am self-reliant and I feed off myself and it's and I'm more influenced on my own decisions rather than externally people like the pressures of you know groups and what a lot of people do, especially metal. I mean, every, not everybody, I shouldn't say, but a lot of people drink alcohol. The Germans love yeah. their, love their beer. And being, around, and being around that sort of stuff, is that is that something that you found has been a strength because you've you've got that sort of introvert aspect to your personality? Look, I'm very independent, um, which is one thing. Um, I'm very strong-willed. I'm I'm confident, but uh, I'm actually I can be quite timid and placid at times. But I am assertive when I need to be. But right. the thing I, I guess so the two things there was alcohol. Not drinking alcohol is not about part of it. Um, part of not drinking. Um, one, my dad uh, being in the army, there was a lot of alcohol around growing up, um, and I saw his drinking. Um, the second part of that is because I would fly in, fly out of these primary and high schools, I never actually made friends that I could go out and drink with when you're a teenager. Uh, that just never happened. So therefore, I didn't start drinking as a child. So you know, in, even in my early twenties, people would say, "Well, you know, wow, you must have strong willpower," and it's like it's not willpower. I just never got around to it. Um, so, you know, I'm not a wowser. I don't, you know, I love people drinking. It's hilarious. Um, but, um, the alcohol thing is, um, yeah, it just, the, the thing is, um, working four days a week, I've got a mortgage. I buy CDs like crazy, like you have no idea. Um, and I travel overseas. So I just look at it logically and say, what is it that I want out of my life? I want to work four days a week because I actually enjoy work working four days a week. If I was to do it five, I wouldn't hate my job, but I wouldn't love it as much as I do. Um, so I look at that and say, this is what I want. I want to pay my mortgage off and I want to buy CDs and I want to travel overseas. Thus, to make that happen, I need to make a financial choice of, of not um, purchasing alcohol. And, and to me, it's literally pissing it up against the wall. I get the buzz that it gives and the, you know, the, the, um, it opens up people up socially, but I do that just by being mental and crazy anyway. So uh, it actually, you know, th that's really cool for me. That's my, you know, that's how I deal with the social awkwardness is just by being crazy. Um, the veganism, um, the vegan side came about, um, 
I'm a, as I said, I'm a big movie fan and I used to go to the Melbourne International Film Festival and I still do every year. And I would always go and watch food documentaries, always. And um, because I like challenging myself, I like I don't take someone's answer at face value. There's a reason behind it and I want to get to the core of that. And so I do the same thing to myself. So, you know, my question was is, why do I eat meat? Why do I do it? And so a lot of the food documentaries that I've watched over the years have identified that, you know, um, well, we don't need it. We don't need meat. We don't need dairy. We don't need eggs. You know, we don't need cheese. We don't need to eat any of that stuff. And by not eating it, we lessen the suffering of animals. And so to me, it's just a logical choice. Um, and, you know, it's partly empathy as well. Um, but who would want to go through what animals go through? You know, they're born... They have a predetermined death date. I mean, that that's criminal. I mean, you know, it, this it, it's a holocaust on a massive scale. Mm. And it's like we don't care anymore. And the thing is, we used to care. When you were five years old, um, you know, you would do anything. If you saw an injured animal or anything, um, you would scream and cry at your parents. You know, you, you would say, you know, we need to fix this up. Yet... Um, like racism and like sexism, it's um, this is a learned behaviour to to not care about sentient beings anymore. It's a learned behaviour. We're conditioned. We're advertised to constantly, uh, constantly that you must eat meat, you know, and dairy. You must, and it's it's a lie. The whole the whole the whole premise is bullshit. It's and whether it's an yeah no no go go go. Whether it's an argument based on, you know, the, um, the Bible, whether it's an argument based on, um, you know, tradition, um, whether it's taste, whether it's, you know, health or teeth, nutrition, whether it's based on, you know, Darwinism, Machiavellianism, um, you know, um, whether someone is amoral or immoral. Like, I have a counter-argument to everything that you can possibly come up with. Um, the only counter-argument I can't address is when somebody says to me that they don't care. If somebody says they don't care, then there's actually nothing I can say. But the fact is, I refuse to accept that somebody doesn't care about animals. Because, you know, it, it's out there on the internet that if you put a two-year-old in front of an apple and in front of a rabbit, they are not going to, they are not going to eat the rabbit and play with the apple. <laughs> yeah? Mm. They're just not going to, they're just not going to do it. Um, they're going to eat the apple and they're going to play with the rabbit. And we, we lost that, you know, kids lose it and we lose it because we're conditioned and we're, we're basically told, don't worry about the suffering, ignore the suffering of animals. And, you know, to be honest, if, if alien beings came down to earth and were more powerful and we couldn't communicate with them, would you want yourself or your son or daughter to walk into a slaughterhouse and be killed at the age of eight years of age? And the answer is no. And so why would we accept that for animals? Why would we? It's insanity. It's just crazy. I, honestly, Andy, I could talk about this topic forever. It's like I have a passion about metal and I have a big passion about, um, about vegan, about a plant-based diet. I, I don't expect pe all people to be vegan, um, but you know, to introduce plant -based, more plant-based foods into your diet I think is only a good thing. If you can get rid of 90% of cancers by changing your diet alone, um, why wouldn't you? Like, it's crazy. 
I think um, I think a lot of things. We definitely should have touched on veganism earlier in this podcast. Then <laughs> gone down this this hole. Um, but I think a big thing that I've seen, and I mean, I, I eat meat, but I've definitely reduced it over the last couple of years, and I I eat a lot more plant than I ever have in my life, and I've noticed yep. the benefits of doing that. Um, you know, just things about quality of your skin. Um, yep. your overall health, feeling congested, um, you know, being able to just have more air in your lungs and just feeling more sort of energized than feeling sluggish. Yep. And, you know, they used to say the, the old meat sweats when you have too much meat. And it's just this, this gross... <laughs> I think I get that when I eat garlic. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's a, similar, it's a similar sort of sensation that you have. And, but I think a big thing that a lot of society has, and I'm, I'm a bit like this as well, is that you're so disconnected from that point of killing. So everything is, uh, you know, mass, mass murder. It's, it's in a, they're in these big slaughterhouses. It's almost like a, it's a factory based thing where people, where, you know, the animals are being brought in and at a large volume and quantity are being slaughtered and then processed and shot out across the world. And, yeah. It's, it's got to a point where it's on such a large scale and we're so disconnected from it that we don't see, we know, like we know in the back of our minds, oh yeah, well, we know like in theory what needs to happen. But when it gets to our plate, we're not thinking about what actually happened or where this came from. You know, some people aren't even identifying what animal this meat's come from. It's just, oh, it's meat. I've got to get it in. And, and it's just that. It that may not even be meat. And, well, absolutely. I know. I mean, I've said it. I've said it many times in the past. I go, I don't care what it is. It tastes nice. And, yeah. It's, that, it's that complete disconnect of of its origins and what had to happen in order for that to be in your hands or in front of you. And that's what most yeah, people but, have at the moment. That's their challenge. So one of the reasons that people eat meat is convenience. You know, and taste is another one. And But convenience is, you know. But, um, you know, what, what price convenience? You know, what price democracy? You know, if we keep selling ourselves out at some point and people say, oh, yeah, but... You know, everyone around me eats meat, but it's not—it's not about—it's not about everybody else. It's not—it's no. not, about you, and it's about your choice. So, you know, if you want to do the right thing, then do the right thing. Because, you know, we can talk about solar power or renewable energy and climate change and all that stuff, but seriously, the biggest decision you can make to, you know, the harm of this planet, and um, you know, is not eating meat. And the fact is, something in the order of 65 or 70% of the world's grains and soy and stuff goes into feeding um, animals. So fucking just cut out the middleman, in this case, the middle animal. You know, just eat, eat it yourself and we can actually feed the world. I mean, that's, a, that's an oversimplification and I, I imagine people, potentially if they respond to the podcast, will say it's a wank, but um, it's not. I mean, it's just true, but it's got to come from you. I, I think you did a podcast with a... Was it Shay Meddings, a yep. psychologist? Mm-hmm. And um, she mentioned that for somebody to change, um, that um, you know they have to want to change. Mm. Um, it can't be me enforcing my values onto onto you and say, Andy, you must be vegan or you must have a plant based diet. You know, but here are all the benefits you're going to get that you're going to get from it. Um, you know, you have to make that decision. And so individually, we have to make th- that decision. But the thing is, when we're advertised to constantly, because you don't see advertisements for, you know, for tofu or, or legumes or, or, you know, anything like that. You see advertisements for chicken 
um, you know, meat, dairy, eggs, you know, this is what, this is, so to me, when people say it's a choice to eat meat, I'm sure it is a choice. I'm sure, I'm sure most meat eaters think it's a choice, but the fact is you've been conditioned your whole life to eat meat. And it, like I walk down the street and I see the advertisements are on TV, it is everywhere. And when the, when those blinders are on so tight, um, how do you get the blinders off? And if you actually step back out of that world, and this is something that I love about metalheads, just to bring metal back into it, is I've always looked at metalheads as being quite progressive because we're actually, we talk about, you know, being ostracized from the, the mainstream community. If vegans are also ostracized from the, from the mainstream community. And here I am, you know, I'm both, you know, I'm fucked. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. And I love, I love the challenge here. Yeah? But, you know, to be a 45-year-old man with long hair and to be both a vegan and a metalhead and a radio host with a behavioral science and sociology background <laughs> is, is, it's a hell of a mix, yeah? And so, I, but the good thing is I know I have the ability to challenge people in a way. Um, even, you know, um, we had an, an, an incident down here in Melbourne recently, I don't know if you heard about it, about 30 or 35 vegans went into a steakhouse uh, here in Melbourne and they presented like um, videos and they had megaphones and they were going off and the, the meat eaters went crazy and in fact there were a lot of discussions on the vegan forums as well about is this the right thing to do? But to be honest, it went viral and, you know, and I, I walked into work on the Monday morning and you know, the first question was, were you part of that group? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, you know, because, you know, we, you know, there's only three vegans in Melbourne, of course, and, uh, you know, yes, and I know everything that goes on, but um, of course I don't, but it's that sort of thing where um, if it makes people question, you know, and yes, um, there's passive activism, like you know, clicking a like on a Facebook, um, you know, post, or there's there's you know, when we talk about oppression of women or slavery, you know, the changes didn't happen by being passive. There has to be some ac- actives um, in there as well. And when you look at a group like Sea Shepherd or whatever, you know, um, helping out the whales in the Southern Ocean, even though they're now restricted because the Japanese use um, use the the naval their their naval to actually detect um, the ships. But these are people being active in, in, in their activism, um, which I think is brilliant. And I wish there were more people who would actually take up uh, socially responsible um, uh, activities to change the world. And, and, and stopping eating meat is, is a, a brilliant start. And to be honest, I don't expect anyone to go from meat from on the board to vegan. Um, but, you know, introducing like a meat-free Monday or something like that, like that I think is a really good idea. Um, I don't see a problem with it. When I go overseas, you know, you hit the Asian countries, um, you know, this is what they're doing over there. They're eating mostly plant-based anyway. So what, what, in Australia, it's looked down on. Um, it, obviously, veganism is growing. It's massive here in Melbourne. We have some of the best restaurants in the world in, uh, down here in Melbourne. Um, but, you know, it is changing, but it's taking time just like it, it is in politics. So... Um, wow, I could go off on politics as well. Emma oh, um, uh, said you should ask uh, Gary about politics, and I wrote that right down on the very last part of my page. And I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dangle that carrot in front of him and then hang up on him. Not if I hang up. Not if I hang up on you first. <laughs> I, I, with that being said, I probably agree with a lot of your political views, but I thought if I, we could be here for hours if I get you going on. Yeah. That. So I thought, Emma, what are you saying? Like, you really want this to fire up? <laughs> Shit stuff. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, that, that, look, <laughs> the thing is, I, I have very strong morals and I understand that not everybody does and that's okay. But at the same time, I like, uh, you know, it's part of that, that you know, check out chick mentality is I don't just want to be, I don't want to live, I, I have a complex personality and I want complex interactions with people. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, ask you how the weather is up in Sydney. Yeah, if I want to talk about stuff, I want to do it in depth. And so to, to do that in depth, you have to be able to justify, um, you know, your decisions. And I'm not doing it to to make you, you know, I, I haven't asked you why you eat meat. You obviously brought to my attention that, you know, you, you're trying to introduce more plant-based. And that's really good. But it's about, you know, why do you continue then to eat meat? And, and I'm not being critical of that. Um, you've obviously identified it as something, yeah, we probably, you know, should look at, you know, introducing more, more plants into the diet. Um, but, you know, it's about getting people to question why they do something. And, you know, to me, tradition, tradition explains why something begins, but it doesn't explain why it continues. And so I'm big on challenging the status quo or, or challenging traditions. Well, I've got... I've got people that I know that are very that I'm very close to, and if you if I'm spending time with these people, and you know it's around food, um, meat is a staple part of that. It's it's part of that background. It's part of that tradition. And if you're yep. not eating it, um, you're looked at in a way like what what's wrong with you? Because it's so ingrained in it's programmed, yep. and and it's that tradition it that we speak about. And we are doing things without thinking. And it's this autopilot way of living that we just, things are the way that they are and I know what I know and that's it. And there's no argument. I hate change and I hate moving forward and I'm, com- I'm comfortable in what I know and that's it. And Yeah, but that, yeah, sorry, continue. And, but that's, that's obviously, that's what holds back so many people from progressing and getting better. But they're so blinded by, you know, whether it be, family generational sort of things or just product of your own environment and if you don't have a lot of outside influence that gives you a different way of thinking then it's very hard to to think outside the box and as you said with the way that meat as a as a topic but even alcohol alcohol is like thing that sort of runs alongside it for different reasons but it's another thing that is part of our culture and it's it's portrayed in a particular way it's through our advertising it's associated with a lot of our culture and yep, sporting, ex- yep. yeah, absolutely. And so it's there's an expectation that if you fall into into a particular age or a demographic or you like particular things, then these things come along to complement those things. And it's just it's an auto attachment. And for people that decide not to, then everyone raises their eyebrows and goes, "Oh well, what's wrong with that person? They're a bit different." And <laughs> And and you just and you think they're a bit you know a bit loopy or oh they must you know they they must like other crazy things as well better watch out for that person they're they're a bit different to <laughs> yeah. us it's very like you know that that whole like um, you know the the bogan or the hillbilly sort of thing like uh, where are you from you're not from around here like you know get out of my town or whatever it is but it's that we 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 all do it in different ways because there's so many subconscious things that are just being programmed in a lot of the stuff it, it literally is subconscious we don't even know we're doing it but it's just yeah. so used to it but the thing is like and i've tried to live my life where i deprogram myself mm. and so part of that introversion for me is that i can be reflective on my own decisions and not all my decisions are great um i you know try to make them in, in the best way possible but 
you know, it's about you know, it's about questioning myself and my decisions, and you know, and why I don't catch up with friends too often. Why you know, why don't I eat meat? Why don't I drink? You know, I will constantly have those questions around, and you know, when I catch up with friends, I can then continue to have those. You know, why do half of my friends vote for the LNT? You know, <laughs> it's insanity. What is wrong with you people? But I get that. I I, I get it. But um, you know. But it's good to have these kind of conversations. Like even getting on the vegan side, like I would have been the first person in the world to tell you that if I went vegan that I would not have any colds and flus. Um, and so I've been vegan for 10 years and I have not had a cold and flu in 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> I've just been suffering and, for the last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I, to be honest, I would have been, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a skeptic, I'm critical of everything, and if someone would have said, and it, again, it doesn't have to all vegans because we all have, you know, different tolerance levels with mm. uh, being sick. But I haven't, like cold and flu, I work with a, in a company that has about 300 people in the office. The cold and flu comes every, you know, spring and autumn and it just goes through the whole office. And I, I feel the symptoms internal, but they never ma- manifest themselves. And so I haven't had a cold and flu in 10 years. I would be the first person to say bullshit. I call bullshit on that. And, you know, there's the proof. And again, I'm not saying it's for everybody, but I was as shocked as anybody that that this is how it's panned out. Well, I mean, obviously, there are benefits no matter, you know, your decision and based off whatever your makeup is and and, uh, genetically and all sorts of different variables there, there will be different experiences of what those positive outcomes will be. And and for your story and, and, and what your makeup is, that's that's one of the one yeah. of the one of the outcomes of of, uh, of the decision that you've made. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm still a lazy shit and, and game for ten hours a day uh, or twenty <laughs> hours over a weekend. You know, so nothing's changed. I don't get out and exercise more. You know, more or less than what I used to. It's just you know the changing. But again, I, I feel less guilty as well about um, you know actually looking after animals. And I would actually like to get involved a lot more in in hands on protesting, like going to abattoirs and, and things like that. There's a great quote. I think it's from Linda McCartney, and that was. If um, you know, if slaughterhouses were made out of glass, there would be a lot less meat eaters around. And I think you know that's it's a, a, a it's a very good observation. Oh, it's that it's that disconnect. You know, it's that yeah. it's that not understanding not understanding we're, what the realities of it. Yeah, we're cotton wooled when it comes to meat, yeah. and it's like a lot of people have criticisms of soy and whatever. But to be honest. You, as an omnivore, would actually eat more soy than what I would, because pretty much every product you buy on the shelf has soy in it. Mm. Um, you know, and there's a lot of criticism of soy, but most of that is genetically modified soy, which I think 85 percent of the U.S. soy, um, which goes into feeding animals, is all genetically modified soy. Um, so, in other words, you're, and I think the reason they're genetically modified is to counter the herbivores and, and uh, the herbivores, the um, the, the pesticides that are used with um, in terms of uh, food production. Um, so it's actually quite incredible um, um, the amount of genetically modified soy that everybody is eating. Um, it's phenomenal. It's an incredible industry. I'm, I'm reluctant to ask you the next question, but I'm actually quite intrigued now because I didn't realise you are going to... I mean, obviously, I know to, to make a decision to, to be vegan would be such a massive decision and it might have come naturally to you in a series of events that led you up there but it's still a big decision to make and it's a lifestyle choice what's i'm, I'm so reluctant to ask you this because i don't know where it's going to go but what's what's uh what's your view on um the 
gene- genetically modified uh, meat that they're that they're looking to produce now. So, you know, to try and I guess combat this high volume of animal, you know, killing, um, people are mm. trying to make artificial meat. So, still the same taste and the same substance and whatever it might be and obviously i mean there's still that element that you've argued that you know those health benefits that you can get elsewhere but if that was something that was a reality that could actually be you know wasn't going to harm people what what would be your views on something like that so eventually i think where we'll get to is that um our meat um will be uh grown in a laboratory yeah so i I think that's where we will eventually head um I don't know when that will happen. They're obviously doing trials now. I think it's illegal to eat that stuff um, in America, I think, at the moment. I think it might be okay in Europe, but I think they're doing trials and tests and that sort of thing. So if it takes the death of, of one animal to, to create um, you know, um, meat, laboratory-grown meat for everybody, then I wouldn't personally eat it, but I understand if people do. But the fact is, vegan food... Um, or plant-based food has come a long way. We're now selling in Australia. Um, in fact, there's a couple of products. The Tofurky brand, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, people love uh, you know plant-based food names. So Tofurky have just started selling in Woolworths now uh, here, and that's a US-based company. Um, and the other one, there's a company called Beyond Meat. And Beyond Meat is a new one. You can get it in a couple of very small convenience places here in Melbourne. Uh, but this... Um, this is plant-based, um, which looks and tastes like meat, and it's down to the point where it even includes plant-based blood that comes out of your burger. Uh, and I believe this blood may be made out of um, beetroot, but it has the, the, the texture and the consistency of blood. Hmm. And so a lot of vegans are horrified by this. Um, but to be honest, you know, this food is not developed for vegans necessarily it's developed to get more of us moving towards more plant-based um, diets so again a lot of this stuff is still highly processed just like meat is generally highly processed so i wouldn't necessarily recommend it but as an alternative to um you know to not um killing an animal um i think it's a really good thing you know, I, it's not a bad thing. A lot of people say, you know, how can you have vegan sausages? And it's like, well, a sausage is not a food group. It's a food shape. A sausage is just a shape. That's all it is. It doesn't matter what's in it. It could be chicken. It could be beef. Uh, it could be lamb. It could be, you know, it could be soy textured protein, you know. Um, it, it's just a shape. That's all it is. And so for people to, to claim ownership on on a particular term in, in, in regards to food is ridiculous. Um, it shouldn't be that way. It's just a food shape. That's all it is. Um, so when people say, oh, you shouldn't, you know, you, you shouldn't, um, you know, wh- why not just have the real thing? Well, I don't want to kill animals for starters. Mm. And plus, if you look at like, um, if you look at diet drinks or, you know, Coke Zero or whatever, you know, that has an artificial sweetener in it. So the, the same thing I'm, I'm being criticized for for eating a vegan sausage is, you know, I'm, uh, you know would I, I would come back and counter-argument and say, well, you're drinking Coke Zero. You're, you're eating or drinking an artificial sweetener. Why not just have the real thing? <laughs> and they'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll get fat. Well, you know, I, in, in my case, I just don't want to eat... Um, I don't want to eat my friends. I don't want to eat animals. So oh, I don't. And I think, I think there's also an aspect where people 
are far too worried about what everybody else is doing. And I think when other people are changing and other people are making decisions, then it it amplifies something that that person can't do themselves or there's a fear that yeah. they have themselves personally that starts yeah. to be exposed in a way that probably no one else can see, but that person, it's suddenly coming to, you know, to a point of clarity where they can see it and they've been forced to actually face it. And so when people yeah. get to that point and it's a level of discomfort, then unfortunately a lot of people repel in a negative way and will look yeah. to shut everybody else down that because I've got a problem with it and I can't handle it, then nobody yeah. else can can enjoy whatever decisions they're going to make because it's actually throwing it in my face and it's become a problem for me even though it doesn't doesn't affect me whatsoever. So there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of, um, I guess... There's a stigmatism attached to it. There is, yeah, absolutely. Oh, geez, um, yeah. I wish I started when, talking about this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, as I said, I used to watch a lot of food documentaries and I don't anymore, but um, I, I want to mention two more things and we could probably talk forever about it, but um, the first of those, I, I, the actual point of change came for me when I went to a band live export rally in Melbourne mm. And there was a speech by an activist called Paddy Mark who's been um, um, arrested so many times, it's not funny. And there was also a follow-up, and I, I can never remember her name, but she was an animal activist lawyer. Uh, and both of these women had the most beautiful speeches that I've ever seen, and I was in tears, yeah? Like, and I, like there were thousands of people at this rally, and I, I, when the lawyer finished talking, um, I, I, I just said to myself, I cannot do this anymore. But get this, I went home and I live in the Dandenong Hills, so it's about an hour's drive away from the city. I actually picked up a meat lover's pizza on the way home and I told myself I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, yet I went and because it was convenient, I went and grabbed a meat lover's pizza. I brought it home. I sat down. I got through half of it. And that's the point where I just said, I cannot do this anymore. And I threw the pizza out, the, the rest of the pizza uh, I spent about six months as uh, as a vegetarian, uh, and then straight to veganism after that. So, um, you know, I have vegan shoes, I have vegan belts. Um, you know, I, I try to do all the right things. And again, a lot of people say, you know, it must be, you know, if you're vegan, then you're still going to harm animals in food production. Of course, that's going to happen. But um, like the drug laws that we should have in this country about harm minimisation. It's the same with food production. This is about harm minimization. We will never get rid of all animal distress and cruelty in food production, but what can you do as an individual to lessen the harm that is out there? And that's really important. The second point I want to say, and there's a lot of videos and stuff out online um, that people can watch. Um, people talk about earthlings or lucent or forks over knives or cowspiracy. But if I, if I would ask people you know, you're on this earth for 80 years. If anybody wants to be challenged intellectually with one speech that will take one hour of your life, please look up the following video, which is, and hopefully we'll put it on the podcast notes, uh, Andy, if we can. Okay. Um, it is called Gary Yurofsky's Best Speech You Will Ever Hear. And if you watch that, and he... he tackles it immediately he says i want you i'm not here to be your enemy but i need you to have an open mind and if you still eat meat afterwards that's fine but i'm going to challenge you and he does it and it's an hour and five minutes of and i watch this video like three or four times a year 
um, because it is powerful and it is interesting. There's only three minutes of animal cruelty footage, and I, I skipped that because even though I used to watch food docos, I don't anymore because I know what happens. Um, you can skip the three minutes of, of the video on there. It's easy to do. But please, if you, are, if, if you want to be challenged and if you want to see how I think about this stuff, watch this speech. It is, and it's been watched. It is one of the most popular videos on YouTube. Watch this speech. One hour of your life out of the 80 years that you're here. I'll chuck it in the show notes so people can go and check it out. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll link it in there. Um, Please do. Before we wrap it up, I've got one yep. last question. So all this reflection, all of this, you know, you, you feed off yourself as far as re-energizing. You're not looking from it externally. Obviously, you'll have experiences externally that help you along the way. But ultimately, as you said, you're an independent person and you spend a lot of time reflecting. What what type of things, is there anything that you do consciously to help you get into a place that you're actually reflecting and, and getting to a, a level of clarity? Because, you know, we're always, I mean, I don't know about you, but my mind's in five different places all the time and I'm constantly trying to bring it back into one focal point and I try to do that yeah. as gently as possible, like the old meditation uh, things that they recommend. But um, is there anything that you consciously do as far as, you know, part of your routine during the week on your Fridays when you have that decompression time to just to get away from everything else? Um, I, I think, um, wow, that's it's actually a tough question because I think I've been doing it so naturally all my life that it's, it's hard for me to then pull my head out of my ass and actually come up with, you know, any sort of uh, concrete ideas that could kind of help people. Um, is there anything that I do? Um, I, I, I don't know, Andy. I, um, I, I, I communicate and I talk to myself a lot. You, you mentioned that your brain is in five places at once, so so is mine. It, mine's probably in eight or nine or ten, probably yours is too, but I go off on tangents and it's hard for me to focus. Um, I'm not the most... I can be rational, but it takes energy. So... Um, to get my mind to focus, I just, um, I'm happy to spend time not meditating. I don't meditate. I don't do yoga or anything like that. I need, uh, um, uh, how do I put this? At night time, I don't get a lot of sleep. I'm a very light sleeper. My brain is active and that's when I do most of my processing. So I think I'm a little abnormal in that sense. Um, there's nothing really I can recommend. It's, it's whatever you think that you would feel comfortable in, um, um, you know, whether it's time alone out in the bush or whatever. So th the problem with answering that is that, you know, for an extrovert, they would do it differently than what I would. So any answer I give, it only works for me as an introvert. So I make sure that I sit on the couch, lay down and think about things um, on a Friday as well as killing things on the computer or watching stupidly violent movies, which are, you know, like I, I love violence, yeah, like because it's primal. It's like my my love of music and seeing bands. It's me and the band. I love stupidly, insanely violent R-rated films. And, and uh, you know, I'm a boy action film like crazy. None of this M-rated crap. It's all R and it's all extreme and gory and whatever. But it's all fictional, so I'm okay with that. So I use that as a kind of... Um, um, that's how I decompress is I, I let myself be open to um, extreme levels of violence, <laughs> <laughs> I which I don't think will, 
which I don't think will help anybody whatsoever. <laughs> but seriously, it's whether it's a book, <laughs> just just like, we'll take out the rest of the podcast, and I'm going to make a sound bite of just that, <laughs> and then send it to Border Force, and we'll be all fine. It'll be perfect. Um, the thing is, like, I love, I, I you know, this is. This is, um, and the other thing I do is I love watching people. I love reading about people. I love reading like Noam Chomsky and Naomi Klein. Mm. Um, I love watching videos of that stuff. And I just, I, I love reflecting on people. I love talking to people about their lives. This is why I've actually found this a little bit difficult, this podcast, even though it might not sound like it's been difficult, but it has been extremely difficult for me to, to talk like this so openly for a couple of hours. Um, I'm going to, I feel like I need to take a sick day tomorrow to reflect on this conversation that we've had um, and to reanalyze all this stuff. And I'm an overthinker, maybe like you. And it's, it, it's sometimes awesome and it's sometimes shit. But, you know, to me, it's about understanding yourself. It's about riding the waves of emotions because I, because I view the world through emotions. Um, that's my primary focus. Um, is that I have flat spots. I don't get depressed, but I have flat spots and I have to understand those. I also have the happy highs where I'm listening to bands like Freedom Call and Gamma Ray, but I also have that other side where I'm listening to Anathema or Paradise Lost or Entwine or, or you know, um, any Finnish goth metal band. You know, like I have these these waves of emotions and stuff and, and I'm not a typical person in that sense. You know, like what you were saying about Lord Tim, about... Um, you know, him needing to shut off or shut down after after a gig. That's me. That's my space I need to be into as well. And giving time to myself is really important. So on a Friday, as well as killing things on a computer, I will often go for a, a bike ride or a hike just by myself, just to reflect on nature and just enjoy animals and, and plants and the smell and, and living up in the Dandenong Hills. That's actually quite easy to do. I think, so, yeah. be, I think there'll be a lot of people that are listening that will be able to 100% understand where you're coming from. And while it, and it's like, it's like a lot of things in life. So much of our habits and what we do is subconscious and we don't really think about it. So when we get put on the spot to try and explain something or try and explain a method or what yeah. we do, it's, it's very disjointed or you, you struggle to try and get it out. And, and then you start yeah. asking yourself as to, is this is this right? Like, is this the right thing to say? And, but I think a lot of people, even like for me listening to what you said, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening. They're going, yeah, like exactly, exactly what you're saying. But uh, I can tell you this, if you spoke to me in a week's time, I could answer that question because the fact is for the next seven days, I'm going to be thinking about it. (laughs) I'll text, I'll text you my response or put on the podcast notes or something. No, (laughs) the other thing people will also probably, they'll probably understand where I'm coming from. They'll also think I'm a bit of a wanker, which is awesome. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that's the, it's a given. given. It's the wonder of, um, of all sorts making up this wonderful world of ours. So that's beautiful. Words to live by. No, I love it. You know, can I just say, I, I haven't listened to a lot of your podcasts, but I've been, when you asked me 24 hours ago to be in this podcast, I've actually gone and listened to um, two or three of them. Fascinating stuff. There's so many wonderful, weird people out there. And, and hearing their backgrounds and their stories, it's like watching, you know, Andrew Denton or you should go on TV with this stuff because um, it is absolutely glorious to be able to, to talk about this and to hear people's um, experiences and stories. It's wonderful. I think um, I think I might have to have, have a bit more of a chat to you at some stage down the track because a lot of all these things that we've been speaking about is 
a lot of the foundation be- behind why I'm doing yeah. this podcast and why I've done it. I mean, for me to be able to get in front, for me to have a conversation with anybody um, several years ago would have been near impossible unless I yeah. was mildly intoxicated just to get socially, <laughs> get socially lubed up, you know, and, and to sort of lose a bit of the inhibitions and that self-loathing where you go, every second word that's going to come out of your mouth is going to be, oh, you idiot, like, what did you say that for? Or you don't know what you're talking yeah. about, you're an idiot. And so this this, this dialogue, this well, monologue that's going in, inside. And for me, like, not only am I, if I got to a point where, and I'm not fantastic at it, but I'm certainly getting better at it, where I'm having conversations with people that I've known for quite a few years, but on a deeper level, I'm also yeah. talking to other people that I would never, I would never even think about stopping somewhere and having a conversation with them or even having a chance to say, hey, um, I'm kind of interested in what you do. Do you have a spare hour that I can just, just like, you know, pick at your brain for, for an hour and they're like, oh, well, I'm too busy for that. But I say, well, actually, I've got a podcast. And I think, oh, okay, this sounds a little bit interesting. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a selfish aspect to it. But for me, I, I never would have been able to sit in front of, you know, a psychologist or, you know, an astrophysicist or all these different people that, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would never have had that confidence, you know, growing up. And I've never seen myself as a highly intelligent person and that somebody that I could, I could keep a conversation up with somebody of that caliber. And so the podcast has been this amazing tool that I've used to overcome a lot of those, those, you know, that, that self, that self-talk that you yeah, the self-doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's um. But the, the thing is, what you've done is you've identified an issue in yourself that you've wanted to challenge yourself, and you've taken that step. And not everybody can do that, mm. you know. And that is, and you, I want everybody to do it. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah. But it's like, you know, this is part of that reflection. And not everybody has the ability to self-reflect, but to look, to internalize and to look what's going on, to say why, question, if I'm like this, if I'm socially awkward, what can I do to change that? And again, you're never going to be, you know, potentially the best person at it, but at the very least, if you start from a particular base with practice and you've done over 100 podcasts now, you know, I'm sure you could, you could, you know, chat with anybody and be a lot better at it and to have those deep and meaningful conversations, um, which typically men don't have a great deal of. Yeah, and and that's a, that's a big thing for me. Even even getting feedback from others that listen in, you know, they they're getting to hear from people that they would never speak to, and suddenly they're hearing, they're getting a form of reassurance from others, going, "Oh my God!" Like that, the way that person's explaining their background or their experiences or whatever it is, that's that's exactly how I feel, or that's exactly what I've been yeah. through, and and for them it's probably a softer way of them coming to that moment where they get the reassurance instead of having the face-to-face conversation with somebody and they but the the wonders of podcasting is that you can listen and it feels like you're sitting in the room and you're yeah. part of that conversation even though you're not actively participating in it so for me i get a lot of young guys that listen to the podcast that you know i could definitely relate to when i was probably in my early 20s and all yeah. of the all the adjustments that I had to make trying to work out where I fit in the world and all that kind of stuff. And then, and, and hearing these people say the same thing to me and then going, wow, that's really interesting. I'm so happy that I got to listen to that person speak and hearing that sort of story. And, and that's given me something to work with. And that's, that's pretty, that's like, it's this additional bonus. And now I don't feel as selfish starting this podcast from my own ego. Yeah. 
But um, like, I would love to see more women on your podcast. That's yeah. one thing that I identified when I looked over the list of the 100 plus. I thought there's only a handful of women on here. Absolutely. Um, and, and funnily enough, at PBS, um, on Thursday, the 8th of March, it's International Women's Day. And our show is on the 8th of March. And um, basically, all the men got kicked off air. Um, and I, I don't, yeah, now I don't like that fact in terms of I don't like fighting discrimination with by discriminating. I think it's, um, if you're going to fight discrimination, it has to be inclusive of everybody. Mm. And so I don't like, I don't like what they've done. But that said, um, it's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, we got, um, Diane Bone, formerly of, um, Crimson Fire, now in a band called 29 Bones. So she's actually, hosting the show and we've got um we've got uh jen from divine attention coming in as a guest mm-hmm. and we've got cat from horizon's edge coming in uh, to present you know their new album so the whole show's gonna be women and so i re- when i looked at your podcast and i looked over uh, i thought this podcast needs more women yeah. we need more voices we need we need wider voices so if that's a little bit of feedback and if you edit that out of this podcast that's all cool too um I would love to see um, more women, uh, and especially women in metal. Um, you know, because there's enough men in metal. Um, where are the where are the female metalheads? Bring them out. Bring them on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think for me, and that's something that I've consciously been aware of, and it's been a struggle for me because there's an element of, I think there's an element of comfort zone that you have with mates yeah. or there's an identi- uh, you can identify a lot quicker and a lot easier with another male and so I've I've fallen into that comfort zone with with a lot of guys and I have at times seen an opportunity where there has been a woman that you know has uh been you know uh what's I'm trying to think of a better word than willing <laughs> but you know so, <laughs> that's such a bad word in the context of the conversation but um, but somebody that you know obviously you know fits in and is able to be a part of a part of the podcast and but for me it's um it's definitely been something that I have to there's an additional step of effort that I have to put in that in- includes me stepping out of my comfort zone further to be able to have uh, a different type of conversation and it sounds and people could look at that the wrong way but I think there's a level of identifying that you have and that level of comfort that you have with another guy when you're talking yeah and yeah. when it's with a woman then it's then there's a whole range of different things and it shouldn't be that complicated but I think just due to upbringing or social norms and what we're used to um you know it's something that a lot of people have to go through and and um I think for me I, and I've always said to people to suggest different people out there to to be on the podcast as well and so um i'm definitely not opposed to it i think i've just always had my go-to list and uh unfortunately or not not unfortunately but uh, for the most part it's been been guys on the podcast but i would absolutely love to have uh have more women on for sure oh look i mean you've got simone from um, voyager i mean like there's a prime example of a woman who's toured the world oh, you know yeah. um when, when you know, and- i can pin her down yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. It's yeah. difficult sometimes. But there's plenty. You've got, I can't remember a name, but there's a, a girl in a band called Seraphic up in Queensland. Um, there's, As I said, there's plenty of women down here in Melbourne in the metal scene. There is. Um, there's, and even there's another PBS presenter, um, Wendy from Metal Genesis, who, you know, oh, she's yeah. fantastic in, in her show. You know, like getting, you know, people in the media doing that sort of stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's so many around. And, and then we talk bands. You know, if you could, if you could get four... For Jansen uh, from Nightwish, I mean that would be 
you know, if you could, on their next tour, you know, if you could get a podcast with her, how awesome would that be? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Mm. I think... Um, I'm, ch- I'm challenging you now because I want, I want you to, you know, I want you to, to broaden your horizons there. Well, this is on public record, so Gary Carson <laughs> challenged me to be more <laughs> equal with gender, uh, gender representation on this podcast and... Um, no, I hear you and certainly agree. So I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely be making oh. an effort. When, when you say I hear you, I, I keep thinking of Donald Trump's, uh, you know, uh, car, his little written notes when he uh, when he was talking to the students after the after the shooting <laughs> oh, in Florida. Oh. So it's like I Gary, feel- Gary, I hear you. <laughs> I feel so much Andy, now. Andy, <laughs> Andy, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on that note. <laughs> No, that's great. Um, look, thank you so much for... I don't even know how long we've been Bill. looking for. Oh, a couple of hours, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Do, do you have... Uh, no. You haven't, you haven't yeah. beaten Amwa's record. I think he clocked in at... I actually think we could, but... We could, we could. But I'm, I'm going to say... Because I've told... I've promised Amwa... Because even when I mentioned, messaged him last night, I said, I'm going to hit Gary up. Give me something to work with, and then he started going on a tangent because he didn't understand what I was saying. And then he said, "I want to be a part of it too." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. This is about Gary, not about music in general." Because he got all topical. And then I said, "Don't yeah. worry." I said, "We will get together at some point." So I think maybe at some stage when I'm back back in Melbourne, the three of us should get together, and we'll have to find somewhere very comfortable, and then we'll just uh, we'll gas bag and see just how long we can how long the batteries last at least. Uh, my place out in the Dandenong Hills is perfect. Uh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> Me too. Andy, thanks heaps. Um, uh, and seriously, I, I, I'm actually now going to subscribe to the podcast because I've been slack and, and not done it. Um, I actually really enjoy it. So um, I'm, I'm going to join in because I, I don't usually have the time to, it, uh, to to listen to all of them. So I'm too busy listening to music. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to subscribe. Uh, except I'm not going to I'm not going to listen to this one because I hate the sound of my own voice. But, <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, we're, oh, you know how I feel. I, can, I have a hard enough <sighs> time just listening back to these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually listen to it back in full, is that right? No, no, no. I try I try to listen to bits and pieces, but I've got someone else that um, does all all the cleaning up and producing for me. Right. So, yeah, no, I, amazing. I had to outsource that stuff. I, I it wouldn't have lasted as long as it has if if I had to do it myself. Yeah, yeah way too much. But, but I'm, um, yeah, go. Oh, I was just going to say thank you for the, thanks for getting in touch basically because it's been it's you know I feel like I've just dumped a whole bunch of stuff on you but I've really enjoyed just talking about a whole range of topics it's it's been fantastic. No, and um, the wonders of this podcast and, is I get to learn a lot more about people that I've known about for a hell well known a hell of a long time but actually not really known that much about them so it's cool. <laughs> it's, it's it's a bit sad I'll, in one way but it's it's actually quite nice in another way to understand and learn a lot more about people. I was just thinking, you know, Screaming Symphony runs for two hours. Um, we've basically filled up a Screaming Symphony right here. So maybe don't worry about your podcast. We'll just put it straight to air on a Thursday night. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I don't know if our listeners will. They'll be like, no, Gary, get fucked. We don't want to hear you again. <laughs> well, I'm absolutely... Andy, thanks for that. Yeah, likewise. And I'm flattered that uh, you subscribed and you can you can wedge me in between Freedom Call and Gamma Ray. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely chuffed. You know, swords and sorcery. Yeah, that's, I love. Um, I just love power metal. Yeah, <laughs> it's any cheese. I just absolutely adore it. Well, I might ask freedom call Stair- stairway to fairyland. I mean, that's who else would name an album stairway to fairyland? I just love it. Can I yeah. can, can get I, out? Yeah. Can I give you one challenge uh, after after we wrap this up? 
Can you, <laughs> can you at some stage over the next couple of days, give me your top five power metal songs that I'm going to uh, YouTube embed them in the show notes so people can check them out. <laughs> and you can go in whatever direction, current current top five, all time, the cheesiest, whatever whatever you want to do. Oh, man. The, the, leash, yeah. is, the leash is off and, uh, yeah. and, and go for it. My head's already there. I can almost <laughs> tell you, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll save it because I want to check if they're actually film clips or whether they're only songs. So yeah, okay. I'll try and pick songs because, I mean, film clips, you're restricting yourself. So I'll try and pick songs, but yeah. I've already got one in my head, but I'm just, yeah, that's almost the top. So uh, I will absolutely do that for the podcast notes. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> All right, mate. Okay, we'll speak soon. Uh, done. We'll have you on air uh, ASAP when you're next down in Melbourne, yeah? Yeah, sounds good. All right, take care. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Gary. I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see what his top five power metal songs are going to be. I'm predicting extreme cheese, so brace yourselves. But by the time you listen to this, they'll be in the show notes over at andysocial.net, so make sure you go over there and give it a give it a go. I, I dare you. Um, there's also the video that Gary recommended checking out as well. So I'll, I'll embed that in the show notes over there as well. So make sure you go and check it out. And I certainly will be doing that myself as well. Uh, before we wrap it up also, if you want to check out Screaming Symphony, you can do so by going to screamingsymphony.com or you can search for Screaming Symphony on Facebook as well. My Jeez, oh, that bird, far out. Um, you can go to facebook.com slash pg slash Screaming Symphony. Um, if you are in Melbourne, uh, you can listen to Screaming Symphony every Thursday night at 10 p.m. on 106.7 PBS FM. Uh, or you can listen to it anywhere in the world. You just got to work out Melbourne time on a Thursday at 10 p.m., the equivalent in your neck of the woods. But you can go to pbsfm.org.au or no doubt you can go to screamingsymphony.com and that will direct you there. Oh, this bird is driving me nuts. I don't know if you can hear that. Actually, hang on. Let's see if we can... Uh, let's see if we can... Oh, shut up now. Damn it. Okay. Um, moving forward, if you want to support this podcast, you want to shout me a beer, you can do so by going to andysocial.net. The method behind my madness is that if you shout me a beer, so if you send me 10 cents, 50 cents, a dollar, $5, $500 trillion, whatever you want to do... Um, that will be less of my own money that I have to spend on beer, which means that more of my personal money can be funded and funneled into this podcast. So it's a very indirect way of supporting this podcast. Um, Don't feel that you're supporting my alcoholism. It's just supporting my podcast in a very indirect way. (laughs) I might have to change the spiel at some stage in the future. Um, Also, if you want to support in any other way, you can leave reviews on Facebook, iTunes, or anywhere else on the internet. If you do leave a review somewhere, I'd love for you to tell me let me know because uh, sometimes I miss them and I'd love to be able to repay the favor at some stage down the track in the future as well. Um, Retweeting, liking, commenting, tagging, recommending, all that great stuff goes a long way. But most importantly, you're listening to me crap on right now and I really appreciate the support that you guys give me. So enough of me. I'm sure there was something else I was meant to say, but this bird is going off. Um, So I need to go and attend to this bird. And don't worry, I'll... I won't do anything bad. Uh, until next week, take care, guys. Ta-ta. You're ready. You're ready.